Welcome to the show, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday night or in podcast form over on Anchor.fm or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. If you've never seen the show before, we talk beer, we talk tech, we talk games, pop culture, entertainment, usually some Star Trek. This is a family-friendly show in both language and content. We do drink alcohol on the show, and if you are drinking along with us, alcoholic or not, let us know in the early show going, and we will give some shout-outs as we go along. All Super Chats are read on the air so long as they meet those family-friendly criteria, and if you'd like to join the super-secret chat and the even more super-secret after-party, think about joining the Patreon or Float Plane. Links are both down in the video description. Description. As a bonus, you'll get exclusive access to the Discord server, where you can chat with myself, John, Rhett, Steve, all of the hosts from Talking Heads, and take part in the all in the awesome community over there. I wanted to say always growing and awesome at the same time. It's a little bit of both, but more than anything, awesome. Oh, welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, Draco says, I so want that Elkar's layout. Man, this thing took me hours upon hours upon hours to put together. Uh, in fact, the main screen that's right here. Now, sorry, the other side's going to be a little wonky for right now. Uh, all of the text in here is editable. Uh, so I can make it say whatever I want at any point in time. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, looks like Rhett is trying to join again. Rhett, are you there? Rhett? No, he's just an orange screen still, and no audio. Oh, it's thinking about it. It's thinking about it. Anyway, this should be a good show, hopefully. Uh, Rhett, if you can hear me, uh, you might want to jump back to your other webcam, or if you can get it working in Discord, we can connect over Discord, and we'll make that work. So, uh... So we'll get this figured out one way or the other. Anyway, should be a good show for you tonight. So long as, uh, Ram, what are you doing? Rambo. Come here, Rammy cat. Rambo is trying to eat some plastic, it sounds like. Please don't do that, Ram. I like you. Uh, should be a good show. We've got Intel debuting a prototype flagship uh, potential GPU. Uh, with uh, what appears to be a quasi-chiplet design. Hey, I've, I've got someone in my ear now. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. Are we back? I think so, baby. Yeah! We got it. Welcome to the show, Rhett. Thank you. It's about it's time you back. showed up. <laughs> yeah. To hold yeah, this thing is. down on my own. <laughs> Technical difficulties, folks. Uh, you missed the intro. It was a good one. So... But yeah, that's so about all we've done. So Sounds about right. All right. Uh, you know, when I announced that we were going to do Mixology March and drink nothing but cocktails on the show during the month of March, uh, I didn't realize that, number one, uh, March 1st was uh, uh, International Irish Whiskey Day. And so we had Irish whiskeys on, on March 1st. Uh, we also had St. Patrick's Day last week, which is uh, a great, great uh, holiday to have cocktails on. Uh Today is International Cocktail Day, and there happens to be exactly five Wednesdays in March. <laughs> so it ended up being the longest month and literally the best possible time to have it. Uh, all of that was completely unintentional, as much as I would like to take credit for it. So, 
let's get the cocktail show a rolling. Uh, uh, Rhett, what are you having for a cocktail tonight? Okay, so um, I, I went on a limb, went a little experimental with this one. Okay. It's uh, um, essentially a tequila and Tabasco drink cocktail <laughs> tequila tabasco cocktail i think was the name of the recipe yeah <laughs> so so it's um well i made it a double but essentially for one it's two ounces of silver tequila it's three quarter ounce ginger syrup uh three quarter ounce lime juice tabasco to taste uh crack some uh, pepper over it a little bit of sea salt and you're supposed to garnish with um, cilantro, ah. but I didn't want to go to the grocery store, so I got tamales, uh-huh. and uh, they're really good. I, don't know, I just kerplunked a few in there because I like them, yeah. and I'm going to eat them by the time this is down. So uh, it's really good. Um, I really like Tabasco, and so at first, when I was uh, making it a single, I put too much Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> so it became a double. <laughs> So it became a double, so I could kind of have a, re- a redo at the Tabasco. Uh, the second, the the second uh, mix that I added was just a dash of Tabasco on top of my, you know, yeah. shake weight Tabasco, basically. <laughs> but uh, it's really good, surprisingly. It's very peppery, obviously, and uh, yeah. you probably can't see it, but I got some um, cracked peppercorn on top. It's really good. And uh, yeah, got a little bit of heat to it, and uh, we'll see how it fares as I get down to the bottom of it. Nice. I do like me a good a good spicy and and peppery cocktail. Um, it's it's one of my big draws over to rye is you usually get that peppercorn kind of back into a a really good rye whiskey, and uh, but yeah, add add ginger to it and some cracked pepper on top. Ooh, now the tequila has me raising my eyebrow because I'm not a huge tequila fan. Um, yeah, it's not that um, I don't like agave. Agave spirits are wonderful when you get into mezcal and stuff like that. But yeah. straight up tequila from Tequila Mexico, you know. <sighs> well, and what I tell everybody because um, because I do like the the shot that this is kind of inspired from, which is just tequila and Tabasco, and you shoot it. Um, I used to really enjoy that mm-hmm. um but you know i'm too old to shoot now so uh, no, I'm just <laughs> yeah. but, but um i wanted something inspired that way and what i tell everybody about the tabasco and the tequila is that the tabasco if you like it mm-hmm. it covers up the parts of tequila that most people don't like to taste yeah sorry ram, ram is sitting on your tower and i thought that was hilarious it is cute <laughs> but yeah anybody interested in trying it if you're not sure about tequila, and but you like Tabasco, try and a, a, a couple, you know, add Tabasco to taste. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I don't think you can do too much, but, you know, a lot of people, they add one dash of Tabasco to one ounce of tequila, and that's just not enough if you don't like to taste the tequila. So right. keep that in mind. Um, it covers up the bad parts and replaces it with the good parts of the Tabasco sauce. Nice. And uh, I see uh, Shellback dropped by for just a moment. How's it going, Shellback? Great to see you. Great to see you. I know it's uh, a little late for you. It's 11 p.m. So, but uh, good to see you. And good to see everyone else in there as well. And also the the ginger syrup was quite a find because apparently it's not very common. So, yeah. 
unfortunately, uh, the only one that I could get that was plain ginger syrup is actually a little bit of a cheaper brand. So I'd be interested to yeah. try something that was a little bit more high quality. Yeah. They, they did have a ginger lemon syrup, but I didn't want the lemon in my drink. So I yeah. wasn't, and you know, it was pretty expensive. I yeah, think for I, something else I would have tried it, but um, I decided to go just to, just to test the waters on this. And the ginger syrup is really good. Nice. Yeah, I don't think the lemon would have fared well in that drink. Uh, there, there are some spirits in particular. You can go lemon and lime. There are other spirits, and tequila is one of them. You need to pick a lane. And yeah. uh, you either add lemon to the drink or you add lime to the drink. They do not clash together. Uh, right. So, yeah, uh, I, I think you made a great choice there. Anyway, I have uh, two cocktails on, on the slate for tonight. Uh, one of them I am experimenting a little bit with. Uh, in fact, I have never even used the thing that I am going to be using to make it. Uh, and that will be the second drink. But for the first drink, uh, I'm going to make a traditional Tiki Generation Mai Tai. Uh, and this is a drink that, when I say Mai Tai, let's just start with you, Rhett. What do you think of when I say Mai Tai? Rum. Rum. Sweet. Okay. Sweet. Uh, Tropical. What, what goes, what goes in it? What goes in it? I don't know. Cherries? Uh, put cherries in my ties? Typically, if you go to most restaurants, uh, and especially if you go to Hawaii, when someone orders a Mai Tai, what they're expecting is what's what I call a sunset Mai Tai, which is white rum, a lot of orange juice, a lot of pineapple juice, some grenadine and and whatnot. And so you get that nice yellow to, to, to deep red cascade because you just yeah. pour it in and let the grenadine sit at the bottom, um, which is where you get the sunset effect. But most people think Mai Tai, they think pineapple and rum or, or orange juice and rum or something like that. Um, and when you go to most restaurants, that's what they give you is a lot of sugar and a lot of juice and a lot of rum. Uh, a traditional Mai Tai is actually made with lime, rum, and orgeat. Uh, orgeat mm. is an almond syrup. And uh, I made a, I made, this is five minute almond syrup. So I, I made this oh, wow. tonight because I forgot that I didn't have any on hand. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I managed to make almond syrup very quickly. Um, but uh, this has three different types of rum in it. Uh, and a little bit of, uh, you can do a, a triple sec, so a dry, a dry orange, or you can use a drier orange liqueur. And so I'm going to use uh, Grand Gala orange liqueur, but let me go ahead and grab some ice really quick and I will be right back. Okay. How's everybody in chat doing? Uh, welcome. Welcome to my show now. I'm glad to be here. Leading the, leading the charge. Hey, let's let's see what we got going for people drinking stuff here. I don't know how far back I should go. I don't know what Jeff hit. Um, so you know, I'll just scroll up. Not seeing any drinks. <laughs> I picked a great spot, didn't I? Um. Uh, hey, uh, Snufflumpagus. I have a lovely cold water because I'm limited to one alcoholic beverage a week, which I choose to have on the weekend. Hey, cheers to you, Snufflumpagus. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, days where I know I'm going to have, especially days where I'm leading into uh, Talking Heads, I drink a lot of extra water. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, I don't yeah. drink this much on a typical weeknight. <laughs> no, I, I, I usually... Uh, 
I, I'm I try to be completely dry on Wednesdays until the show, unless I'm filming something. Like occasionally I'll have a beer with lunch, but uh, but not on Wednesdays. On Wednesdays I'm a strict not no go because I usually have two to three drinks on Wednesday nights. Um, anyway, so we're gonna start off with uh, an ounce and a half of Sailor Jerry's uh, Spice Drum, which is a 92 proof and a fantastic mid-range amber spiced aged rum so ounce and a half of that and this is going into a shaker full of ice about three quarters full of ice we're going to go equal parts with a bacardi white um i i'm not a huge fan of bacardi white but it's one of those drinks that you don't want to just you're not going to pour this into a into a snifter and just you know sip it straight, but this is what white rum is technically supposed to taste like in a mixed drink. Uh, so it, it's a fantastic mixer, and it's not that expensive. So ounce and a half of that. Uh, whatever you do, don't go with the Captain Morgan White because that is awful. Uh, it, it's an awful, awful mixed drink uh, spirit. Uh, let's see. We're going to do three quarter ounce of our Grand Gala. So that is our orange liqueur. Uh, if you're using an orange liqueur, you want it to be fairly dry. Or like I said, you can use triple sec. So we're going to do three quarter ounce of this. There we go. And for those keeping track, no, we're not done with the booze yet. <laughs> uh, we're then going to do three quarter ounce of Orjat, which again is the almond syrup right here. And then we're going to squeeze a half a lime into it. So I'm going to cut a lime in half, and then I'm also going to cut a wheel out of the lime. There we go. This was not a very good lime. I think I'm going to have to... Oh! Shit. Oh, no! I will be back in a couple of minutes. So um, Steve's over here and he's in chat. And he's telling me I got to get better hot sauce. Okay. First of all, I have <laughs> better hot sauce. But Tabasco is vinegary. It's less saucy. So it mixes with the drink better. So um, yeah, I love hot sauce. Tabasco is great though. Um, it's very uh, utilitarian, so uh, <laughs> so I do use oh the chat flooding with uh, with sadness for you, Jeff. So sorry. Um, yeah, but Tabasco is pretty utilitarian, so I, I use it uh, a lot for breakfast. I use it a lot in drinks. Um, you want to make hot pockets good? You do it with a little bit of Tabasco, baby. Uh, yeah, you could go some other sort of hot sauce. Um, Steve, I think local, you get your butt over to Roth's, you get yourself some uh, secret aardvark sauce. Um, that's kind of one of my big go-tos. Um, a lot of Salem restaurants serve it. It's just a locally made. I think it's from Portland. It's pretty good habanero sauce um, that I dig. But it's thick. It's a sauce. 
you know, it's not going to mix into a cocktail. Um, so what are you going to do? By the way, um, just talking about this because I, I can't get into the news without Jeff, obviously. But uh, this is a pretty good drink. But I think I noticed uh, y'all ta- heard me talk about the uh, Tabasco uh, before. I accidentally put too much in, and it uh, never rose from the, the bottom. <laughs> so now that I'm getting down there, I'm getting a lot of Tabasco. But uh, it's kind of nice. Like the ginger syrup obviously adds a little bit of sweetness to it. But, you know, those of you guys that, uh, those of you guys that like ginger, you know, you get a little bit of a, little bit of a bite in there too. It's not too bad, but it is, it is a a spiciness. So um, add that with cracked peppercorn and man, we're just rocking and rolling. Andrew Preston says, hot pockets, nah, sriracha is better. To each his own. I've got. I got all the sauces. Sriracha is great, but I put sriracha on noodles. Um, I use sriracha a lot to uh, make like Thai, uh, you know, peanut butter sauce. Mix that in there. Cook down some peanut butter. Freaking delicious. Um, but yeah, hot pockets. I guess I typically buy the breakfast hot pockets. So maybe that's why I'm putting tobacco. Uh, t- tobacco. <laughs> Tabasco, rather. Um, although, you know, tobacco is a great part of breakfast for, for many Americans and people around the world and, and Europeans, you know, um, when I was in, uh, Barcelona, a lot of morning smokers on the street, a lot, they were everywhere. In fact, I saw more people smoking in Europe than in the United States. So kudos to the U.S.'s, uh, you know, healthcare, uh, healthcare you know, mission, operation to diminish smoking. We failed at everything else health-related, but uh, not smoking. We save it for when we're drunk, like normal people. Anyway, you guys want to talk about Morrowind now? Um, Been consuming a lot of Morrowind. Uh, Don't ask why. Just have been. Elder Scrolls 3 came out in 2002 so you know game's 19 years old at this point but damn it is so good let's just talk for a minute about I think how for granted we take the Elder Scrolls games not that they're you know I, I think that there are obviously other great games out there but people laud this open world aspect in gaming and uh, one thing I never thought about until recently is just how really open world all of the Elder Scrolls are. Well, I mean, even Daggerfall too, but but I'm thinking, you know, Skyrim is just insane, Oblivion the same, Morrowind. Think about this. There's really not a single building that you can't enter. Uh which is like something that like Grand Theft Auto like doesn't do. It's something that I don't think like The Witcher 3 does. I don't think you can go into every single building in The Witcher 3. Um, but not only that, like how many items in each building and each dungeon in the open world are interactable? I mean, once you get to Oblivion, I mean, you can pick up apples and plates and chuck them across the room. You can pick up any loose, you can pick up people's bodies and drag them around. And uh, so I, I got to admit something live on the air that, you know, obviously I prefer Marwin over uh the next two of course that's what we're talking um, about just because i think their commitment to immersion and their commitment to world building and lore and and 
um, writing in general is so much better. But man, like the attention to detail in these other games is just so astounding, even in Morrowind though. But um, each game is this highly detailed, curated, handcrafted world. Each item is placed by somebody for this, the most part. This time I'm squeezing a little um, bit easier oh, lime. He's got his lime juice back. We can't hear you. We oh. can't, we can't hear you. What? You talking? I'm talking. Can you not hear me? I can't hear you. Is it just me? Can anybody else hear me? It, it, OBS says it can hear me. I mean, I can hear you whispering. That's weird. Hello? I can hear you say hello, but it sounds like you're... All, I don't know. Oh, everybody else can hear you. Well, this sucks. Okay. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, check, check the volume on your side, then. Is this my fault? Hang on. I'm going to go with your Talk. fault. Oh, shit. You're right. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, I turned you down so I could talk about Morrowind without getting interrupted, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I, I said everybody... I'm back a couple of times, and, and you're just, like, carrying on about Morrowind. And I'm like, well, he's in oh. a zone, apparently. Yeah, sorry, man. Sorry. Uh, so I've got this. Y'all can tell I'm wearing this Razor headset, right? And, it, and it's a great headset, and I recommend it. I think I got the Kraken, like, tournament edition or something. Uh, the only my only complaint well two complaints as you're about to hear the mic not my favorite mic it's pretty quiet compared to my plantronics um but it has this i i can't move it because i i uh if y'all remember my uh binder clips from my old build uh they now are used to hold my head cord cables in place um but it's got this like dongle i guess is the word and it has volume control on it it has a mute button on it and it has uh, a button to toggle like THX spatial whatever sound bolt crap but it also has this which just rubs on your shirt oh yeah and turns things down and then I never know which way to go just like instinctually because it's a double-sided switch oh that's lame <laughs> it's stupid it is so dumb so uh, it rubbed on my shirt when I was waxing about Morrowind <laughs> Anyway, I I was gonna say something completely inappropriate, but that's that's okay. I'll I'll tell you after the show. Anyway, I'm gonna go grab some more ice. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow, he interrupted my Morrowind uh, talk. People are talking about mods, by the way, and uh, the mod community in Morrowind is alive and well. And for those of you all who use Reddit, um, you can go to the Morrowind subreddit r slash Morrowind. And uh, also uh, r slash tes mods or tes three mods perhaps. Anyway, uh, the mod the, the modding is alive and well. Tamriel rebuilt is just a complete overhaul mod that's really good. I also use Morrowind rebirth. God, I've talked about this on the show so many times I can't remember if it's rebirth or reborn. Another really good one. Uh, use the unofficial Morrowind code patch to fix some of the issues. All right, so. For those, for those keeping track of where we were, I've got one and a half ounces of white rum, one and a half ounces of spice rum, three quarter ounce of a triple sec or dry orange liqueur. I've got three quarters of an ounce of lime juice and three quarters of an ounce of orgeat. And then this being a citrus drink, you're gonna shake it quite a bit. And I know everyone's hoping this will just explode over the top of me right now. Will. One of these days. Murphy's Law, baby. I've 
never had one of these explode on me. I, I, I had one come close, actually, when I was doing the uh, the uh, Amaretto Sour a couple of weeks ago on the show. Um, not on a live show, but on a recording where I, I had it burst on me. But I caught it. <laughs> All right. So the next step in this is to pour it over some nice crushed ice. Now, I didn't bother crushing my ice this time. It's just store-bought round ice. I went a little bit lame on my uh, on my ice game. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, go on back upstairs, okay? Go tell Mama. Okay, thank you. And close my door. Thank you. <laughs> Good night, little bit. <laughs> All right, and one final step is we are going to float... Uh, you can do a couple of different things here. I like going with a float of a back of a blackstrap rum, either like a Kraken or uh, uh, Captain Morgan Black is a good one, or you can go with a Myers Original Dark. Uh, you can also float a 151 on top uh, if you want a little bit more bite. But uh, this this drink is boozy enough already uh, that I prefer just a little bit of a dark rum float. There we go. And that is a proper Mai Tai. So it's not the most attractive drink in the world, but it is a fantastic, um, fantastic rum drink. It's it's not nearly sweet or nearly as sweet as uh, uh, you'll get if you go to a, a tourist trap bar or chain restaurant or something like that. Because when people hear Mai Tai, again, they want orange juice and pineapple juice and rum and they want it sweet and they want it potent uh this it's is interesting this is potent my, and nothing else it's interesting that my take of my ties has always been like grenadine and cherries mm -hmm. like i don't really i guess like pineapple makes sense but i never think orange juice i must like uh, well first of all i never really order my ties anywhere but yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, once you have one of these you won't order my ties anywhere either well you know hey I'm waiting for this thing to end so we can do these shows in person and I can get my personal cocktail uh, totally. mixologist back. Totally. Um, I, I, I don't want to be in, in like my personality. I don't like being uppity. I don't want to be uppity. I don't want to be stuck up or pretentious or anything like that. But I have a really hard time going to chain restaurants or... A variety of other places and looking at their cocktail menu and finding something that intrigues me uh because i've got a 45 bottle bar here I, i'm not understocked and i know how to use it all um but uh it, it's really hard and and when you order a drink and then they give you a really crappy version of it you're like i know better than this come on guys yeah. and but i don't want to be that jerk because if they're at a chain restaurant, the bartender doesn't have freedom. They're given the the recipe list by corporate headquarters or, you know, they're yeah. all seeing overlord and whatnot. So it's like, I'm not going to be a dick because this guy made an old fashioned the way his menu says to make an old fashioned. <laughs> but this is a, this is one of the worst old fashions I've ever had. Yeah. Um, and I'm speaking specifically to like PF Chang's right now, like <laughs> higher end restaurant, their old fashioned was garbage. Um, yeah, they they do get some some good drinks in there from time to time. Um, it depends on I'm sure who the bartender is and things yeah. like that. Yeah, 
because there's some restaurants that aren't chain restaurants like here in Salem that I go to where you go on a good night and you get great cocktails all night. Yeah. But if you go during the week or maybe in the afternoon, like same guy's not going to be there yeah. or gal. And they're just not going to make them the same, with mm-hmm. the same attention to detail or, or whatever it might be. Yep. Um, yeah. I was in the Keys in Belize and uh, they got this like renowned, this renowned bar on this like party island, right? It's uh-huh. called the, the Lazy Lizard. And, um, <laughs> and it's like the only place on the whole island that you can like really like play in the water, like right by the shore. Because uh, otherwise, the water is like a foot or two deep for like a mile, <laughs> like everywhere around the island. Yeah. And uh, we were like so excited because everyone is like talking about like their cheap cocktails and stuff. And so like we get to the island, you know, we've been walking a ton and finally get to the island. It's it's where we end our trip and we go. It's dollar cocktail night <laughs> in Belize, you know, so it's right. it's actually like 50 cent cocktail night by American standards or whatever. Yeah. And uh <laughs> They serve them in these like plastic cups. It's like the cheapest syrup you can find for every single like, you know, you want a pina colada? It, yeah, okay. Here's some rum, but it's also just like, you know, the cheapest pineapple flavored sugar yeah. water that you can add to. Yeah. But they're fifty cents a pop. You right. Know? It's kind of hard to complain <laughs> when they're fifty cents. It, and it's, you can eat. Um. God. What was uh, was it Applebee's was was doing uh one dollar margaritas for a while yeah, and they yeah. they had another one that they came out with for a dollar and i'm like there's no way you're gonna make anything resembling that drink for a dollar i i think yeah. it might have been a mojito and it's like my mojito requires at least two dollars of rum <laughs> yeah well that's the thing like you know i know we're getting into the 36 minute mark here but mm-hmm. but uh that's kind of the thing sorry someone like was about- late it has nothing to do with me spilling my drink at all i know i'm so sorry i'm sorry it took me so long to figure out to restart my computer um <laughs> should have been the first thing i did but i was like yep. why is zoom constantly just launching and relaunching over and over and over <laughs> um but that's kind of the thing about modern cocktails is that like the advent of like all these like pre-mixes and things like that like yeah they're so like bad for you in a way but they like taste sweet and good and so people mm-hmm. equate them with like being good but it's like the reality is like one of my favorite cocktails is a whiskey sour as i'm sure everybody's heard me say a thousand times but like a fake whiskey sour obviously is what got me into it but also it's so bad once you've had a handmade oh yeah whiskey sour yeah with like handmade like lemon and lime and all this sort of stuff like and and that was kind of my point where um again i'm i I try not to be pretentious by the way I i see the couple of super chats i will get to them momentarily I, I try very hard not to be pretentious, but when I go to a bar and and the bar is supposed to be a cocktail bar and they ad- advertise having craft cocktails and the ingredients I see behind the bar are the neon red maraschino cherries and Rose's grenadine and Mr. T's sour mix and crap like that. It's like, that is not a cocktail. Right. Nowhere in a whiskey sour does it say grab sour mix. It says grab lemon and grab simple syrup and freaking make a sour mix. That's a, I guess like that's kind of the difference between like a cocktail and a mixed drink, I guess. Right. Like technically, technically they should be the same thing. People, people use it synonymously, but right. like I've also seen a cocktail technically has three ingredients that and a mixed drink could have two because that's, that's getting, that's, that's the cocktail community getting pretentious. 
Well, I think the three ingredients is liquor, a mix, and a garnish. Right. So, like, that's where a cocktail starts. Right, but that that originates from the whiskey cocktail, uh, and and they said it was it was whiskey and uh, whiskey, ice, sugar, and uh, and garnished with something, uh, with some kind of fruit. Um, I mean that that was it, uh, and and they would uh, they would water down the whiskey, and yeah. but it, but because you added water and and ice sometimes and sugar and a garnish, it was a whiskey cocktail, and yeah. that's where the the phrase comes from. Hey, I'm all good. I'm I'm all for tearing down the gatekeeping. I'm, I'm yeah. just you know yeah, tell you what and, said. and and <laughs> and what's funny is I'm defending. I, I'm I'm trying not to gatekeep when I like go to bars and whatnot, but at the same time I so gatekeep when I go to bars. Well, the reality is, I think if somebody wants to tie one on, there's nothing wrong with grabbing a Mr. T's sweet and sour mix, right? right. Like that's and fine. and if that's your jam, that's totally your jam. But if I go to a bar that's supposed to be a cocktail bar, right? Yeah, and I and I order a whiskey sour, you better not right. just be shooting in some some cocktail mix. I don't care if you have I, pre-squeezed lemon juice and simple syrup and the, like you have the ingredients all dashed out. That's how I make stuff here. Sometimes is I will, uh, if I feel like you know, grinding my own lemons and, and, you know, storing a couple ounces of, of lemon juice at a time. I totally do that. Uh, I make my own syrups. I make my own grenadine. I make my own, uh, uh, Torbonado, and uh, Demerara sugar, uh, simple syrups. Uh, I'm going to make a ginger syrup because I was actually thinking about it two weeks ago. And then you said, Hey, this drink needs ginger yeah. syrup. And I was like, wish I could help you, but I haven't made it yet. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I make my own orgeat. Uh, this time it was cheating. It was just from almond milk that you buy in the store uh, and and 50-50 sugar, and, and it works great. Uh, other times I've actually gone through and uh, ground almonds down in a, or soaked almonds for like an hour in boiling water and then blended them and, and milked them. Like I've made my own orgeat before <laughs> from scratch. Um, and... I have a problem paying $12 for a cocktail if yeah. all they're doing is pouring Mr. T's in a, in a glass for you. Right. And I, and I was going to say, I guess that's really the root of the problem is it depends on what you're paying for, what's advertised, mm -hmm. you know, all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, it just, it just all depends. I, I, I love, uh, we used to have like a really good like tapas restaurant here in Salem. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, they handmade their whiskey sours. But you know what else I love that they made? Mm. That people duke on all the time. I don't even know the real name for it, but it's like red wine and Coke. Like that was like a great thing to have when you're eating yeah. like appetizers and stuff. Like uh, maybe somebody in chat could say, but yeah, it's like, I, I and honestly, I kind of think like the cheaper the red wine, the better, you know, yeah. like <laughs> and the Coke makes oh, it Oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Anyway, let's go ahead and get to these super chats real quick. Uh, Redbeard, the pilot chimed in right before I spilled my drink <laughs> with a $4.99 super chat. Thank you so much, Redbeard. Uh, built my first 10 gigabit network following your vids. Thanks. Uh, how goes the long-term stability on the Chenbro FreeNAS backup box? Um, it's literally been running for about as long as you've seen the video, only about a uh, little over a week now. And uh, so far it's running great. Now I've been running another Chenboro NR12000 uh, running TrueNAS for my home lab. Um, that lab doesn't stay on 100% of the time. I feel like I'm clipping slightly. Uh, that lab doesn't stay on 100% of the time, but uh, that server itself has been very solid just with six two, two terabyte SATA drives in it. And uh, that's been running great. So that 
that box running so great for the last two or three months is kind of what convinced me to go buy another NR12000 to run as a backup server because I didn't want to spend a crap ton of money on a, another 2U or even 4U, you know, disk plane or disk shelf or something like that. I just needed drives to slide into my rack and be able to run. And uh, that server more than, than handles that load. So been very happy with that. Uh, there was another super chat from Jeremy, $5. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, drink well, brother. Uh, I will Cheers. say this is one of the better Mai Tais I've had in a while. <laughs> and there there might have been some rum left in the bottom of the mixer that I didn't pour out. So I, I drank my cocktail almost mm -hmm. down to the bottom. You can see my tamales in there. <laughs> also, look at my sweet, my sweet holiday glass well, here. I like that. Yeah. I know. A little I showed bit of mistletoe. Yeah. yeah, right? It's so cute. And you got to gold rim there. Yep. Uh, so Big Big Spoon wants to know, what is in grenadine? Te technically, grenadine is a pomegranate uh, pomegranate syrup. Uh, you can make it very easily with, uh, if you just want to get some 100% pomegranate juice and, again, mix it 50-50 with sugar. Uh, there are some who add oranges or some spices to it. Um, uh when you say mix it 50-50 with sugar. Uh-huh. By by weight. 50-50 by weight. And so uh, So like not like a cup for cup? Or? Not not cup for cup. It's it's gram for gram. Oh. That that's where some people get get messed up with some things. Now, you can you can also do a heavy syrup. You can uh uh sometimes I'll make a two to one uh sugar to water uh simple syrup. And all you end up with is a is a more condensed sugar um less dilution so if you have some drinks that are after that some drinks do call for a heavy simple syrup uh and so you would you would do two or two and a half to one sugar to water um most syrups that you see are going to be 50 50 by gram sugar to liquid okay and so let me expose my ignorance here further so like obviously like some cooking is involved or you just like mixing that uh you're not just mixing it um uh, I actually talked about this on the last video that sugar does not like to dissolve in cold liquids. Um, now, most liquids that you get are 80% water. Pomegranate juice, even, you know, squeezed out of pomegranates is 80% water and 20% whatever the pomegranate put into it. Um, but even still, cold and even room temperature doesn't like to, to dissolve. Um, usually, I recommend getting uh, a controllable uh, cooktop uh, something that you can set at like 150 or 160. I usually don't go beyond that when I'm making syrups, although some people will tell you to get boiling water. I, I don't see the advantage. And once the sugar starts to boil, uh, it actually can get warmer than 212. And that crap is like napalm when it starts boiling and bubbling out of the pot at you. Uh, so it's, it's actually quite easy to get uh, superheated syrup boiling on your stove and have that start splashing and all of a sudden you've got you know instant second degree burns because a couple of drops hit you on the top of your hand so, so we're talking like a similar process like making like jam yeah totally uh okay. yeah you, you yeah you get it up to about 150 160 degrees so not boiling but you got a little steam going on um and that's where sugar really will just just turn to mush and and dissolve straight into the liquid um like i said this orgeat tonight I took one cup of, uh, of almond milk, just straight out of the fridge, put it in the bottom of a, I have a really small uh, uh, pot for, for doing this kind of stuff in small batches like this. Um, but I put one cup of it into a pot. 
Uh, I turned on the burner on medium for about a minute and a half or two minutes. Uh, as soon as it hit 150, I turned it down to low, uh, poured in uh, a little over a cup of, uh, of Torbonado sugar. I use Torbonado for this mix. Uh, and, and just mix it until it dissolved, let it heat a couple of more minutes, and then took it off heat. It, it was literally, I think, about seven minutes from turning on the burner to walking downstairs with a little bottle of Orgeat. So you could do it in under 10 minutes if you're doing like a, a, a full, you know, 500 mil bottle or something like that. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. By the way, so I was telling everybody the Tabasco is settling at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Well, the Tabasco settled in the middle, so y'all saw me making some faces. The bottom <laughs> is a ginger syrup. Mm. Ooh, damn, mm. that's sweet. Ooh, and good, delicious. I love ginger. Uh, that that drink. Um, I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that drink sounds like it should probably be shaken um, because yeah, there actually, are some ingredients that aren't going to blend just by stirring. Yeah. Uh, you're 100 percent correct. Yeah, the recipe does call for it to be shaken and strained. Yeah. So I, I did not do that because you just, you just built it in the glass. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have I don't have a cocktail shaker. So I, I should have specified that off the off the get go. Well now I know um, what to get you for Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is a long ways away. Well when's your okay. birthday? I, I I'll, I'll get you one Christmas. For your <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, we're at work with me here. Happy Easter, buddy. Here's a here's a Boston shaker. <laughs> Look, we got a lot of holidays between here and there. We got yeah. we got Easter. We can we make got this Memorial work. Day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? When we're all vaxxed up at Memorial Day, and you come over to my house for a barbecue, I will have a cocktail shaker for you there. Mm. Memorial Day is when my pool gets filled too, baby. Oh, there you go. Well, I think we just moved locations. <laughs> I, no, I think we were talking with uh john in the uh discord mm -hmm. about doing a, a talking heads from the pool or something pool like that. side talking heads yeah <laughs> you know i've it's on the I've, table i have a camera uh three axis head that could track you in the inner tube in the pool <laughs> <laughs> yes. so you you put a camera facing you and then you have the studio camera uh looking at you on a motorized two axis head and uh, and at, and it can track your face, and as your face moves, it'll move the camera to to keep you in frame. Oh yes, <laughs> I've oh. actually not used that feature yet, but but I have it. <laughs> it's happening. We're making it happen. We're, well, yeah. So you can be in the inner tube the whole time, and it it won't care. Sipping a mai tai. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Made a proper you. one. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. All right. all right did we get through all the super chats did i we yes we did there, there were just a couple there so yeah we are through the super chats i think 45 minutes into the show we can finally get to something else mm. now that i've had it's a national national cocktail day we had to talk this long about cocktails that was right and and i hope you all enjoyed this um i certainly did the viewership says we were holding steady so i think we're good um but yeah, this was uh this was a show that was meant to go off the rails from the very beginning, it seems. But I've got some dry pants on now. Literally not a drop hit my desk. It all landed <laughs> right in my crotch. I miss the old uh talking heads desk that was just like covered in stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> um that desk irritated me to no end. So I got an unfinished desktop from IKEA. 
and put it onto a, a set of custom legs and bolted it to my, my countertop desks. And it was fantastic. It was a great tabletop. It looked beautiful. It was it was unfinished birch. And I, sh I knew I should have oiled and sealed uh, the, the top before I did anything on it. Um, but I'm like, what am I ever going to get on it other than a couple cup rings? And that just adds character to it, right? And so I wasn't really that concerned. The very first God video that I did was putting back together my Dishonored case mod and I spilled blue dye straight onto the tabletop. <laughs> and so right in the center of my tabletop was this splotch of blue dye that is still yeah. there. <laughs> That's how I knew where to put my drink. Oh, it was so irritating. <laughs> so It's like, well, <laughs> I guess we either live with it or... Uh... I liked it, but the upgrade's nice too. Yeah. Yeah, no, this this new this new surface is another IKEA countertop, and it it's on the most stable set of legs that I have ever bought. Um God, I, I could stand on this desk all day long. I could jump up and down on it. Like it has like a seven hundred pound capacity or something like that. Um it's it's crazy, but I love this desk. Um I actually didn't end up moving the uh the sit stand desk. Um to my main talking heads desk because I found it when I started mounting things to it, like my monitor and my camera and whatnot, it wobbled just a little bit too much. Um, mm. At its lowest point, it was fairly stable, but any kind of lift to it and that thing just became a lever, especially when the camera sits a good two and a half <laughs> feet above the desktop. It was just doing this the whole time. It's like, uh, it's not gonna work. Bad. So um, there is a desk that Ikea makes though that has these same legs, but it's a motorized set. And so it's like a 700 pound lift capacity on, on a motorized desk that you can put your own top onto. And so I'm planning on getting one of those, but it's it's not 199 for that, it's like 599. So it's a little bit more of an investment. One more super chat, Novella Hub, uh, $5. Share with us your ice making secrets. Uh, my ice making secrets is I am a damn dirty cheater. Um, you so, buy distilled water. No, so, well, it's it's not quite that cheating. Although I have done distilled water for ice before, but is I'll that cheating though? <laughs> Look, he got up to go away. I'll tell you my secret. I run the tap into my silicone molds put them in the fridge. I also have cocktail glasses. So ID Prom bought one of these and uh, he Freeze swears them. by it as well. Uh, this is my clear ice cube maker. Oh. Um, mm. And uh, this, ha this was way more expensive than it has any right to be. This was $40 to make four cubes. It takes a little over a day to freeze these four cubes. Um, but it's just silicone and plastic. Like, it, there's nothing complex about this design. Um, basically, it uses the, the top-down freezing method. And so the top two inches are the ice cube that you keep. But since it's, it's, it's uh, or sorry, it's called directional freezing, where if you can slow down the freezing process and have it freeze from only one direction, it will, it will freeze much, much slower. And what happens is water freezes before impure water freezes. And so you'll get nothing but clear clear water and clear ice freezing on the top and it pushes all the sediments down as it's freezing. And so what you're left with is this 95% clear ice two inch cube. And then underneath that, 
is all of the sediment and 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 air bubbles and everything else that are left that didn't freeze pushes the impurities downwards yeah exactly yeah it pushes the impurities downwards because water itself will freeze at a lower temperature if you're if you're cooling from all sides at once what it does is it pushes those impurities towards the center if you can directionally freeze it from one direction it pushes it all along one axis and and it pushes it to the bottom and all those impurities are below the ice cube mold itself um now when you take this out of here uh what you're what you end up with is four two by two uh cubes and then there's also some one by two by two cubes underneath that have all the impurities you can save those for using in a shaker or or a mixer and so you do end up with a little bit more usable stuff here than just the four cubes um but so this is just a silicone sleeve to insulate the 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 sides and the bottom let me let me ask you this do you do you think when a cocktail calls for on the rocks that like a single cocktail ice cube suffices? It depends. It depends. Do you like it over ice? Um. So the Mai Tai is a boozy drink and you're actually supposed to serve this one over crushed ice, which I, I didn't bother melts bringing down. It melts faster, right? Yeah, so it melts faster. It gets you more dilution. And uh, and so it's it's more surface area. So it gets colder faster. It's, it doesn't stay cold as long because it's melting the ice quicker. Right. Um, and you're getting more water dilution versus a drink like an old fashioned or uh, a Manhattan over a rock or something like that. That is supposed to be a large single rock. And the other benefit of clear ice is that it melts slower uh, because it actually takes more energy to convert it over in back into a liquid. Um when you do a shaken cocktail, can you still put it over ice or are you supposed to mm-hmm. not do that? It depends on the cocktail. Because I was just thinking with my Tabasco cocktail here mm-hmm. that because I, I ended up using a single, you know, whiskey rock, essentially. And I, I think that it would have been better had it been, you know, ice cubes or crushed ice yeah. or whatever. I'm going to put this um, back in the fridge. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, obviously the the recipe called for it to be shaken. Uh, The recipe called for it to be shaken, but I felt like it could use, you know, ice. You know, you get Mm -hmm. that experience of the the, the ice tumbling into your face a little bit as you're drinking it and all that. Um, That drink, to me, uh, needs ice like this where it's a lot of a lot of smaller pieces um not necessarily crushed ice but but smaller like you know half or three quarter inch cubes uh you get a lot of surface area and uh uh you get a little bit more dilution because what did you say it had two and a half ounces of tequila like it's it's a it's a little bit bold um plus with the lime the lime and the ginger in there you're gonna want a little bit more dilution um so it all depends on what flavors you want to continue bringing through, how cold you want the drink to stay, etc. Um, the reason they they call uh, even for stirred drinks is they'll say stir in in a mixing vessel and then pour over a single large rock. The single large rock is still going to conduct uh, uh, is still going to keep the drink cold, but it's not going to dilute or melt as fast. And so right. it's a great drink or it's a great option for an old fashioned because you're doing all the dilution in your mixing vessel and then pouring it into something just to keep the right. drink cold. And it also is kind of a, I think a happy medium between like, um, 
you know, like a whiskey neat mm-hmm. versus on the rocks mm-hmm. because it'll chill it. It'll take some of the bite off right. and it'll add a little bit of water to it, but it's not as fast as doing it on the rocks, which right. has just become a half and half whiskey water, yeah. you know, real quick. Right. Um, that, that, you know, because it's national cocktail day, let me ask you one more question. Where do you rest <laughs> on the, uh, on the idea of, I use them all the time, mm-hmm. but the, uh, the, the like chilling stones. Oh, totally. You know, for like a, a neat drink, I guess, but like chilled. Yeah, no, like, totally. Um, so temperature will drastically change the way you enter or, or which flavors you can pick out. Uh, and that goes for neat, neat spirits that goes for cocktails that goes for everything else. Um, it, your tongue will detect certain things at certain temperatures or, or, uh, will, will filter flavors more predominantly. How's that? And so, uh. Yeah. Uh, as a drink warms up, like if I'm drinking an old fashioned, as it warms up a little bit, I'll get a little bit more of that, that peppercorn. Whereas when it's super cold, I might get a little bit more sour apple and caramel. Um, and that's just part and parcel to your tongue interpreting flavor at different temperatures. Um, so again, it depends on the cocktail. It depends on the spirit. Uh, some spirits are better warmer. Some spirits are better colder. Uh, but the advantage of a whiskey stone or whiskey stones in in a glass is that they're not going to add water to that so if you're trying to avoid dilution you just want to change change temperature they're a great option right hmm. uh nicola runev uh disagrees thinks stones are a bad idea dude just drink it straight uh nicola you, you've be been the... you've been quite vocal uh the last last couple of weeks as as we've been going through cocktails um Oh yeah, if I you have a feeling like, you wouldn't get along well with the magnificent bastards because you seem a little bit pretentious at times. <laughs> well, that's the thing about drinking it like neat is like people say it like as though it puts hair on your chest, and okay, sure. But if you're drinking a cocktail, you're drinking a cocktail. Like I drink whiskey neat all the time. I drink cheap whiskey neat all the time. <laughs> I got a freaking half gallon of of Seven Crown in my bar that I'll drink out of a coffee mug on a on a Saturday night when I have nothing better to do. Seagram 7's great uh, neat. That's the one nice thing about it is it's a cheap whiskey that I can still actually enjoy. Right. Exactly. But, you know, see, and thank you. Scott agrees. With the uh, stones, it is straight. straight. It's just colder. Right. Exactly. It just changes the temperature. And I think that it changes the temperature in a way that's better than just, like, putting your whiskey in the freezer or something, which I would yeah. never, you know, I don't want to do depending on... Yeah. I like room temperature whiskey, first of all, yeah. but if I do want it a little chilled, I think the stones go a long ways without watering it down. You know, and technically, you know, I, I've always heard all the old cowboys say that you, you're supposed to drink whiskey with a with a splash of water. And, uh, you know, nobody mocks those guys for splashing a tablespoon of water into their cheap whiskey or whatever. Like, right. Um, I don't know. It just depends. Man, it's all, it's all whatever you want to do. Dragon Rider says, add enough Pepsi to cover the ice and enjoy. <laughs> um again i i'm not pretentious for any kind of drink like i i enjoy a great rum and coke from time to time i'll do a whiskey and coke sometimes i i've done uh gosh uh mountain dew came out with the uh the original mountain dew that was made for for mount for moonshine i had that with some with some corn whiskey and whatnot like it was a pretty good drink i will say it 
for me, it kind of depends on your whiskey there. Like, don't go too expensive. Don't go drowning, you know, Jameson 18 in a in a bottle of Coca-Cola. No. Like, please don't. Yeah. If you want to taste a nice whiskey, you know, right. I honestly, that's the thing. Like, so, for example, like one of my favorite scotches is Lagavulin 18. And mm-hmm. it, it's a little expensive. And, uh, you know, I've drank it neat a, a few times. But uh, honestly, if you add like a half tablespoon or maybe even a full tablespoon of room temperature water to it as well. Yeah. Uh, it really takes the burn off while like allowing you to enjoy the smoky richness of it, because that's like that. That's one that's like pure s- smoke. Right. Uh, it, it's and it's delicious, you know, um, <clears throat> but again, it's like you add water to it and people are like, what are you doing? You're ruining expensive scotch. It's like, well, OK, but also this is the way the Scots drink it. So what are you going to do? Um, and don't call me on that. I don't know how the Scots drink it. <laughs> but, but anyway, look, it's it's 9.02 p.m. And we have stories to get to. We do. So, uh, Big Big Spoon, $5. Don't be the last guy to hit the thumbs up button, or even worse, the guy that doesn't hit it at all. 149 watching and 55 likes. What the crap is that? Well really said, weird. Spoon. I got I got 156 watching, 58 likes. 159 oh. now. Yeah. And okay. 58 So likes. maybe he must have just wrote it when it was down. Right. Yeah, it yeah. was, yeah. Naturally. We've, we've been floating between 150 and 160 tonight, so right in that range. Um but no, uh, well stated. If you're watching this, go go hit a like, go go subscribe. If you're not, do it. Uh, and then uh, Awesome Physics says, yeah, like cool drinking, like sexy drinking, not this psycho trailer park, which is one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. Tech news. Tech news happens exactly 60 minutes in. It's a nice round number what, what, today. What? It helps because we don't have that many stories. So, you know. Yeah. Oh, we're up to 72 <laughs> likes now. That actually worked. Thank you. Keep Woo! them coming. Uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of stories. So it was just happenstance that we happened to talk about cocktails for half of it. All right. Let's hear it. Officially. Intel. Tech news. Here we go. Intel has... Uh, kind of showcased an early prototype of what their GPU prowess may be capable of. Um, Now, this is a die that they did actually produce. Whether or not it lives up to the bins they're saying it's going to or not is is up for interpretation. However, it is 7 nanometers, so we got to give Intel credit for something there. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Intel today showed off... uh, the seven nanometer uh, Ponte Vicio, I believe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but whatever. Ponte Vecchio. Ponte Vecchio, thank you. Ponte Vecchio. I, I tried to add a little bit too much to it, is what happens. Yeah, it's Italian. Ponte Vecchio. Uh, uh, their new XE uh, GPU die, which has over 100 billion transistors and 47 XPU compute tiles. Now there's a there's a similar technology on the market right now, not necessarily with GPUs, but with CPUs, and they're called chiplets. Uh, so I think it's really funny that Intel, of all companies, is uh, gorilla gluing a whole bunch of uh, of single dies onto a larger die with an I/O uh, chip on it, and uh, now they're now they're XPU compute tiles. They're not chiplets anymore. I think that's cute. um there's not a lot of of meat or substance in this uh but basically they're saying they have 47 magic tiles uh 
with 100 billion tra transistors and essentially their most complicated and advanced fabrication method yet. Um, but they're, they're going kind of the AMD route where you're paring down the number of SKUs you have to produce, the, the, the number of, uh, of unlike SKUs. Um, we've talked about this on the show before. AMD at this point makes two parts for their CPUs. They make an IO die and they make a CPU chiplet. And depending on how good that chiplet is, is depending on which CPU it goes into. Uh, so if it's a it's a it's a fully validated eight core that does 4.9 gigahertz, that goes into 5950X. If it's a if it's an OK eight core, it goes in a in a 38 or 3900X. Or sorry, no, that one's two sixes. Sorry. Uh, if it's a if it's a decent eight core, it goes in the 5800X. If it's a decent six core, it goes in the 5600X. Uh, and then there's also validation for what can go in an, into an Epic CPU, which, by the way, their server and their consumer CPUs use the exact same chiplets and exact same I.O. dies. Uh, so there's some variance there. Uh, but that's really it. There's there's nothing more complicated than that. It's six cores, eight cores, 12 cores, or or 16 cores, and any combination therein. Same thing with Red Ripper. You can go up to 32 and 64, and Epic can go up to 32 and 64, but they make two parts. And it's just depending on how good that individual part is, how they're, or which CPU they're going to glue it on and call it what model. So Intel taking a, a little page out of, out of uh, AMD's book here, probably for the best. Uh, now, the thing to mention about this uh, particular GPU is it also has HBM2 on board. Uh, so they are integrating all of the HBM, all of those those chiplets onto a single, very, very large die. Like this is a die the size of a Threadripper and it's a GPU. Like just wrap your head around that for a minute. Um, like we think of large GPU dies as like 300 millimeters squared, like, you know, half of a postage stamp or a third of a postage stamp. This die is insanely large. Uh, I don't know if they gave us the exact millimeter spec on it. No, they didn't. Um, but uh, just from, from the context of this picture alone, that's a big die. That to me says like 800 millimeter squared. Like it's, it's substantial. Uh, so yeah, Intel finally got seven something on seven nanometer that they can potentially ship to consumers in uh, the next year or two. Uh, this will be likely showing up in some high-end uh, compute GPUs for enterprise, as well as possibly a glimpse of what they're going to bring to the consumer side of things on the high-end gamer side. Interesting stuff. I was hoping you would say something while I was taking a drink. Well, what I was going to say was so stupid that I was like, I better just not say it. Uh, I was going to just make a joke about Pana Vecchio. Like, I'm pretty sure like Vecchio is like old or something. So I'm like, what does it say about their, you know, what, what does it say about their new product that they like codenamed it old? <laughs> Hashtag old news, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't think it says much. All right.
Moving right along here. Uh, Tesla will now accept Bitcoin in exchange for actual uh. Teslas. So this is the thing. Uh, and in fact, uh, there's a quite well-known YouTuber, uh, Sarah Dietschy, uh decided to sell some Bitcoin and buy herself a Tesla. Uh, so she ordered herself, I believe, a Model Y. She got uh, one of the high-performance Model Ys for like $50,000. Wow. In nothing but Bitcoin. Um, and part of this was because obviously Elon has been pretty hardcore on pumping up uh, cryptocurrency lately, most notably Bitcoin and Doge. Uh, but uh, he announced this morning that you can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. They are accepting Bitcoin as a form of legitimate cur cur uh, currency. I tried to say three different words there. That was great. Uh they are now accepting Bitcoin as a legitimate form of currency, and you can walk away with the Tesla of your choice. So. Interesting. Yeah. You know, crypto is one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I've been trying to wrap my head around for a while. And, uh, you know, I think like the first time I heard about it, it was kind of like a, a novelty, probably like for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But obviously, it's gaining a lot of momentum with with new cryptos being minted and and um, you know understanding of the blockchain you know becoming more and more mainstream. Right. Uh, but like, I just can't help but feel as though like crypto is like a pyramid scheme. You know, it's like value continually depends on like new people becoming interested and like becoming invested in it. Um, it's it's definitely unlike any currency we've ever seen because yeah. every currency we've ever seen has either value for the natural resource it's made out of, which is why gold and silver and gems were worth something, uh, or is backed by the gross domestic product of the nation that wrote the currency, um, which is why I have like half in, or gosh, more than that. I think I have like $2 million in Zimbabwe dollars. Uh, <laughs> that I think I paid $4 on eBay for just because I thought it'd be cool to have. Um, but uh, yeah, like I have a $200,000 bill from Zimbabwe. I think I might have a 500,000 as well. Like I've, I've got, and then I'll, I have a bunch of hundreds. Um, but it's usually only worth what the country backing it is also worth. In this right. case, what is backing Bitcoin? Right. Well, that's the, like kind of the, the idea. The belief is, that Bitcoin is worth something is well, what's backing like the, it. Right. And that, and exactly. And that's what's kind of weird to me about the whole thing. And and maybe I have it wrong. I'm not an economist. And, mm -hmm. and I think this, you know, maybe somebody in chat, you know, has some disagreements with me about this pyramid scheme thing. But it's like, but it's like, uh, you know, the thing that makes, uh, you know, Bitcoin valuable, A, is that, well, yeah, people think it's valuable, but B, supposedly there's a finite number of bitcoins that you can mine eventually like the the time it would take to mine what bit one bitcoin is just longer than would be feasible mm. to to do and so that's the number of bitcoins you have but if the number of investors in bitcoin stays the same the value of it doesn't really go up either like right. it does because there's like a, a and, like and built-in scarcity, right? And it's and it's only worth what the conversion to actual money says it's worth. 
and and I I don't mean actual money like in like actual money. I mean like traditional state-backed currency. It, you can't formulate it any other way. Like it's not like three Bitcoin are worth seven chickens. Like, you know, that's how currency used to work was right. I have something of worth. What do you have of your trade that you think is of equal worth? And we'll swap there. Right. Uh, and from there we went to, you know, state and country backed currencies and we had, you know, either gold or, you know, uh, as of like 1905, you could get, gold certificates and silver certificates in the United States. That was $1 worth of silver yeah. uh, or, or, you know, one-tenth of a pound, you know, sterling. Uh, and uh, and you could actually trade it in for metal yeah. if you wanted. Now, right. the system doesn't work that way because we've evolved beyond having a surplus of gold in Fort Knox to, well, we have, you know, California, which is the fourth largest economy on the planet. Right. <laughs> Um, well, and that's what somebody says here. It's like, you know, what's back in the U.S. dollar? And I, and, I, and I think like what dictates the value of your currency from country to country or region to region is is essentially like kind of this like assigned credit rating in a way. It's the, like based the, on the stability of your economy and the stability of your country. And yeah, obviously it, it's the stability the and very yeah, it's stable. the stability and size of your economic load right. or economic bearing. And right. so the U.S., you know, they say nothing's made in the U.S. anymore. Well, U.S. has a lot of industry still. U.S. has a lot of of hands in just about everything. There's a lot of right. manufacturing in the U.S. There's a lot. Uh, currency is backed well, on the gross domestic product of your country. And so the gross domestic product of the U.S. is still pretty darn strong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, lots of... Uh, foreign countries invest uh, in the U.S. economy and into the dollar, and uh, that helps prop it up as well. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of an interesting concept. I don't know, the whole Bitcoin thing is, is well, crypto in general, it's it's so, obviously it's, it's come into a lot of people's um, trending feeds because of like NFTs and things like that, which just seem absolutely insane to me, but uh, you know, we'll Would we'll you like see. to buy a tweet? I will sell you one. <sighs> yeah. Well, and what's bizarre to me is so many people are like, well, this is like you can see like Cameron Winklevoss today, like basically being like, it's going to revolutionize digital art. And it's like, how many people have I read already that have had their artwork stolen and minted as an NFT without their permission? And then right. somebody makes like, you know, $2,000 or $3,000 on a digital screen grab mm -hmm. of somebody else's art. And now that artist can't even mint their own artwork. Right. <laughs> and not only that, but like, the transaction is like so like ridiculously uh you know gosh i can't even think of the word there's just such a high carbon footprint with like those transactions which you know a lot of people say you can surmount and maybe that's true but at the time at this moment it's like kind of double gross it's like here's this huge carbon footprint oh and this artist who works really hard to make this digital piece of artwork yeah. is now getting screwed over yeah. by some asshole uh, so, um, so Mike wants us to talk about NFTs. I know even less about NFTs than I do about Bitcoin, and that is still very little. So, yeah, uh, I, I know I'm I not going to say anything about them. I, I will say, obviously, it stands for non fungible token. I yeah. think, and the I, the people that support it believe that it's the solution to fixing the scalper problem with digital transactions yeah. and concerts and things because. Um, you know, I, I don't know because, oh, because the transactions are stored in the blockchain or something. So like, 
one person buys a concert ticket or a couple of concert tickets rather than a bot buying them all out and scalping them out like that that's something that's trackable you know in the blockchain mm -hmm. anyway i don't know people think it's going to revolutionize the uh the digital economy and i think that there's something to the idea but right now it just seems very easily exploited and then there's yeah. also the company uh, the the um websites and the services that are like allowing these nfts to be minted uh, seem to be like all, all of the transactions are broken in some way allowing duplications of a of an item that's already been minted but yeah i don't know again i don't know much about it just that lot, lots of people say it's going to revolutionize ticket buying maybe even like being able to buy graphics cards or something because it's going to be able to like root out bots and all this sort of stuff you know yeah i don't know and that when you talk about it that way it sounds like a great thing um but yeah uh, uh, two more super chats here. We got American Cosworth, two dollars. I'ma tell you anyway. Yeah, thank you for the uh, the uh, RCR reference there. I I really appreciate it. I'ma tell you anyway. I'ma tell you anyway. I'ma 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 I'ma. <laughs> I've seen that video. It's good. Uh, and the D five dollars. Every time Rhett wears the Troublemaker shirt, it's a guaranteed super chat from me. Thank you, D. Baby. I know. Apparently, though, you know, the maker of the show, you know, he's frowned upon anymore. So maybe it's not the best idea to wear it. But also the person who wear the show or wear the shirt in the show in trouble as well, maybe. I don't know. But I, I, I like the shirt. I like the show. Yep. We'll sort it out later, I guess. All right. Let's talk about why you can't buy a GPU right now. Uh so he's using nfts clearly right that's the entire problem <laughs> mystery solved moving on uh so i tried to weigh in this week in my my uh sapphire rx 6700 xt review um and i weighed in with my opinion which my opinion uh mirrors very closely with andy's opinion over at e-technics which the reason things are so expensive right now it is it a is it was a perfect storm of literally everything that can go against you as a consumer buyer on the GPU space. Uh, there's miners, there's short supply, there's exceedingly high demand from what they even, what they predicted. Because if you remember back at the beginning of 2020, people expected COVID to cause a very, very large recession. And while it did cause a recession, uh, it's not a traditional recession uh, in that some people lost their jobs, but some other people are making bank. Uh, and what we're seeing is the service industry and and face-to-face, uh, -face, you know, so your cashiers, your entertainment industry, your, your cruises, vacations, uh, tourist towns, you know, people that are reliant on other people coming into your business, those people lost business a lot of it and and a lot of them shut down and some of the even more of them for good um so there's definitely been an economic impact there are other people though there are the amazons and there are the makers of products that have uh been deemed a necessity for this so webcam manufacturers audio engineers uh monitors and computer hardware has been a commodity and has actually been a record setting year for a lot of different places. Um, anyway, Asus came out, uh, 
earlier this morning or yesterday sometime and said they think that the NVIDIA graphics supply shortfall is actually due to poor GPU yields, which we kind of thought that when the 30 series launched back in October. Uh, there weren't that many 3090s available. There weren't that many 3080s available. They already pushed back the release of the 3070 uh, by about three weeks from when they originally announced it just like six weeks ago. Like it it wasn't a long time before they said, yeah, we're not going to be able to make those either. Um, and every single graphics card in that stack has been virtually unobtainium since the announcement. Um I'm a reviewer with a fair number of contacts in the industry. I have yet to put my own hands or eyes on a 30 series card. I have not been in the same room with one of those cards. Um, I don't know anyone on a personal basis who owns one of those cards. Like, there's a fair amount of separation between me and the latest NVIDIA tech. Uh, I have been blessed enough sapphire has sent me two review cards now uh the 6800 and the 6700 xt both nitro plus editions so the the top tier editions but those were loaner cards that i didn't get to keep those i kept i get to keep for a week in fact the uh, 6700 xt is already boxed up awaiting a shipping label so again there's not much i can do with those i can't compare them against each other even because i didn't have them at the same time um so it's been a rough go. It's been a rough go for graphics cards, for motherboards, for new CPUs, for power supplies, uh, and all of them for kind of different reasons. So I'm going to kind of try to break down some of the reasons here and put to bed some of the conspiracy theories and just kind of say I'm sorry, but it's not my fault, but the worst is yet to come. Is kind of my impression of all this. So first off, Asus said they think the low GPU yields are, or the low GPU stock is due to low GPU yields, which means that NVIDIA isn't good enough at their fab process via Samsung to produce enough graphics cards to satiate demand. Um, I partially buy into that simply because in October, those cards were not available then either. And that was really before... Bitcoin was still at like 25,000. Like it hadn't skyrocketed yet. It was at the beginning of it, but it hadn't shot. And uh, they were still unobtainable then. And that was back when I would still be able to buy AMD and NVIDIA, you know, 2000 and, and 5000 series cards off the shelf for less than retail price. Uh, you can get them shipped to your door for whatever whatever Amazon was charging. They were in stock. They were readily available. And then the 30 series came out and you couldn't buy a single one. They were sold out literally immediately. That has to do number one with the demand of the cards was much higher than Nvidia anticipated. Again, we Nvidia anticipated a recession. And so they scaled back their, their forecast for the number of cards they thought they needed to produce. What happened was people got the majority of people were still making money and had a lot of excess income or had a lot of excess money and went, you know what? This is the first graphics card I've seen in four years that's actually worth pouncing on. I think I'm going to buy one of the new cards. And they did. All of them. Forever. 
now, there's conflicting news about this. Some of the news that I've been following says miners and pre-distribution buyers are getting the majority of the stock. There are other indications that stock is just selling out as fast as, as NVIDIA can make it, and AMD at the same token. Um, it's just selling out that fast, and the majority of it's selling out to individuals. Not not bots, not not scalpers, not... You know, now, there are people certainly take adva taking advantage, and they're getting preferential treatment from somewhere. I don't think it's NVIDIA Direct. I don't think it's Board Partners Direct, but I think there's a distributor, probably Middle Road, who's probably making bank. Uh, but regardless of whether NVIDIA has yield problems, which I think they have some yield problems, that doesn't explain why you can't buy the AMD cards either. Because I have heard nothing about yield problems on the AMD side of things. And the only thing that makes sense for that is that demand was exceedingly high. Same thing with AMD CPUs. AMD CPUs are renowned for their binning. Like, they're binning down CPUs that should be sold as higher SKUs so they can sell the parts to that particular family, not because it didn't meet the grade of the higher part. So a chiplet that may have wound up in a 5950X is actually winding up in a 5700X because they had too many. And those CPUs were unobtainable as well. And I think it was due to demand. This is the first chip in a long time that has been a significant leap forward. You know, it, it's no more of that Intel 3% a year crap for the last five years. It's no more of the rise in, oh, we almost got them uh, thing. This was, we have a new chip. It's 15% faster than anything you've seen comparable before. And people went, I have to have it. And I think it's just demand. Now, with the demand of GPUs and CPUs comes the demand for new motherboards, memory, storage, power supplies, both for new builds and for mining rigs. And when demand is high and supply is low, that leads to inflation of prices. So I think it's a little bit of everything. And, and I, I, I talked in depth about, or not in depth, but I talked in generalities about the, uh, uh, the logistics process of NVIDIA and AMD producing chips at, at Samsung and TSMC respectively, shipping those chips to board partners, having the parts assembled, validated, binned, etc. Um, them going into board partner cards and then shipping across the, the, the Pacific which the shipping costs has increased exponentially from $1,200 per container to $20,000 per container. Uh, and they can only move so many containers at a time. They can only get so many empty containers back to, to stock to push the next group out. Uh, so that's been an issue. Uh, then you have retailers who are, or distributors who are selling out immediately to every single channel they have in, in the retail space. You have retailers who are selling out immediately to every single customer who possibly wants one because demand is high. So I think there's some truth into what Asus is saying, but Linus came out and said behind closed doors in, in, uh, in rooms with, uh, with people who aren't willing to talk to me, 
um, just said, and, and by the way, people have been getting a little bit more frank with me. Like, uh, I talked to a partner that I work with quite a bit today and they said, we have no motherboards and no GPUs for sampling. We have not been allocated any from corporate. And the reason being is they'd rather sell them rather than allocating 20 cards to go to reviewers. We'd rather sell them. And that was it. So again, that's behind closed doors, but that's the access that I have. The access that Linus have is probably well beyond the scope of what I have, but according to the board partners and OEMs that he talked to, the majority of parts are going to consumers. They're not going to miners. They're not going to scalpers. They're not going to this, they're that. There are scalpers that are certainly taking advantage of the situation, thus the name scalper. But... The issue is simple economics. It's supply and demand. Supply is not meeting the demand, and the demand well exceeds what the supply can currently handle. Whether that was from projections that were wrong, or whether that was demand that was exceedingly high given the situation. And again, I think it's a little bit of both. I think between uh, some people being out of work and needing tax breaks and 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 kickbacks and uh and stimulus checks to pay their rent the next month there's also some people who have been working from home for 40 hours they're not driving in their car 40 minutes per day anymore uh and i'm in this group certainly uh i don't drive 30 miles one way to work anymore uh in fact before covid i moved 12 miles to my work uh but even then since it's been a year now since I've driven anywhere to work. Yeah. Uh, after March, I I was literally in the office for, I think, five days. And that was it. So since March, I filled my truck three times <laughs> to tell you how many miles I put on it. And it only gets like 16 miles to the gallon if I'm doing city driving. Uh, like it'll, it'll do 18, 5, 19 if I really push it on the highway. But uh, it gets 16 miles to the gallon in city. And... I've done less than three tanks of gas in that truck. Uh, I I've, just filled my Jeep like three times. Yeah, I've, it's I've a big tank. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, both week. both my my Nissan Frontier and my Z car have twenty gallon tanks. They have almost the exact same same fuel capacity. I think the the truck has a, has an extra like 0.7 gallons or something like that. But roughly, if I go to fill them, it's about eighteen and a half to nineteen gallons. Um, I have I have bought gas fewer times than there have been months. And <laughs> like I've done less than a thousand miles on the Z car and I've done less than 600 miles on my truck. And this is coming from someone who used to do 35,000 miles a year. Yeah. That's a lot of gas. That's a lot of insurance. That's a lot of wear and tear. That's a lot of tires. That's a lot of everything else. I'm not spending that money in that location anymore. I'm not commuting to work. Now I'm reliant on my computer. I need a good webcam. I need a good microphone. I need, you know, a, maybe a, a new light to, to be able to be on camera and be presentable and everything else. And that's everyone else who went virtual workplace as well for the last 12 months. So some people had their expenses slashed by a good margin. And they've had 12 months of no driving. That's 10 grand in your pocket. If, and if you were able to keep the yeah. same salary that you kept before, you've got a little extra scratch this year. And then not only that, but when the stimulus comes your way, 
that's that's just that's extra disposable. money, right? Yeah. And one of the stimuluses we used, the most recent stimulus, it was sweet. Let's put it in savings. Let's let's go on a trip next year when this crap is all over. Uh, we talked about spending it on various different things. We we talked about quite a few different things, and uh, and in fact today I was doing my taxes for Q1 and I told I gave my wife the the raw numbers and I said here's here's our our income and here's my expenses, and and I went my expenses are a little bit low like like we're gonna have to claim a little bit more taxable income. She goes well can you spend another fifteen hundred dollars this week and I went <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I bought a 5600X at retail price. I was not willing to pay a penny more than retail for a 5600X, <laughs> but I found one for 299 shipped. And I went, done. I paid scalper prices for a 5950X because <laughs> I really wanted one. Um, and I don't think the prices are coming down on those quite as quickly. Like the 5800, 5900 even, like you can get a 5900 for 799, but that's supposed to be a $500 part. Um, and it's like, I don't want to pay that. So I paid $1,000 for 5950X, which is a 16 core, 4.9 gigahertz beast. The fastest chip that's ever been made. And I went, I want one. And so I, I bought one today because my expenses were too low. Um, hey, it's part of the game. Which by the way, my expenses were too low. And I also made a $500 donation to the Red Cross because I got an excess of donations from people wanting to help out with the flood. Like, like we, we well, well uncovered, uh, all of our expenses for insurance. We're still waiting for the insurance check to come back. We got notice today that it should be cleared in the next couple of days. Uh, so we can actually start replacing stuff. But we went up to Ikea. We spent a couple thousand dollars replacing furniture and, and getting things that we needed. Um, but we got an excess of donations. And so I donated $500 to the Red Cross today, uh, because I, I didn't need that much money to get back up on my feet and the Red Cross in the last year in Oregon, they have done so much good work. And and that's where I said I'd put the money. And so if you donated to that, thank you. Thank you so much for helping me pay the deductible and and pay for some of the things that weren't covered by my insurance. Uh, but I got more than I needed. So I'm going to give it back. And again, that's Where'd a tax go? donation. We were still under on our expenses. So I had to spend more money on parts. Because either I spend it there or I give it to the government. It's like I'd rather I'd rather buy tax free PC parts than. Yep. Yep. That's that's the, that's the downside to my job is any PC part or alcohol that I buy or camera gear that I buy is now tax deductible. It must be so hard. It's it, it's a burden I that mean, I must bear. Airfare and hotels at CES are mm -hmm. tax deductible. Mm -hmm. I mean, food at CES is tax deductible. It's just a, it's just a slog. I mean, I really, like, I I grind and I grind. Not to mention, you know, you get that sweet IRS uh, mileage rate. You know, I think this year it's fifty six cents a mile if you got to drive. Yeah, if you got to drive for, for work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that adds up. And baby. I I got to do it with the top down on the Z car with with the new exhaust oh. in it. And, oh, oh, that's just. It's brutal. I don't know. That sounds brutal. tough. That sounds really tough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I am almost done with my cocktail here. Um, but anyway, if you haven't seen the Linus video, he does a fan... I guess it's over here. Uh, he does a fantastic breakdown from some sources that I don't have access to on some factors that have led to GPU price increases and 
in, in general component price increases. Um, and I think he's right. I think Andy from eTechnics is right. I think Asus is probably right. I think every other person that I've talked to is probably right because it's not one thing that has caused this. It's not, oh, mining is booming, so everyone's buying cards. It's not, oh, NVIDIA sucks at making fabs via Samsung, and so we're, we're not getting enough parts. Well, if that was the case, then AMD would be satiating demand, and they're not. Uh, it's not this, it's not that. It's a combination of literally everything that the last year has thrown at us, and we're paying for it now. That's where we're at. So, and unfortunately, as I said, uh, it's not going to get better this year. I'm hoping sometime in like summer of 2022, maybe with the next halfway through next GPU release, we can maybe start to buy GPUs at retail price again. But this is going to be a long year if you are in the market for a GPU. CPUs are starting to come back down to earth. Like I said, I was able to find a 5600X shipped to my door from a retailer for $299. Um, so they're starting to come back down to normalcy. Um, and it wasn't used. It was an unopened box from an AMD authorized retailer. Like, I'll take it. Uh, the 5950X, I still paid a premium for that. But... It wasn't the double the price that it was before. It was plus 20%. And so it's like, okay, I'm cool with that. Um, but GPUs, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. There's also the fact that no one has really upgraded their GPUs for the last four years. I mean, the 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 Tesla car, uh, Turing cards were not enticing to upgrade from Pascal. Pascal was the last enticing upgrade we have for Maxwell. And Maxwell was the last enticing upgrade that we had from the 600 series in Kepler. Like you either bought a six or a 107 series card, or you bought a Pascal card, or you had something in between. And from any of those series, the only upgrade path was if you had a 600 and you wanted a 900 or you, or excuse me, you wanted a 1000 series. Like I said, there, there's variances in between, but if you look at like the major stepping stones, it was from Fermi, you went to 600 series and that was night and day. Like, oh my God, that's the card to have. And from then it was incremental updates and even Maxwell was kind of an incremental update. And then we went to Pascal and we went, oh my God, Pascal is the card to have. 1080, are you kidding me? Uh... Then we went to Turing, and everyone went, eh. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's demand. And demand uh, makes fools of us all. All right. Uh, speaking of fools. I don't know where I was going with that, but speaking of fools. I'm right here, Jeff. I didn't go anywhere. Sorry, you still look orange to me. <laughs> hey, I think we missed a couple of Super Chats up before. You read the Ds, but did we read American Cosworth? I didn't. I didn't catch that one yet. Uh, so American Cosworth, $5. So you're saying chiplet magical dies are just like rotary modules on a Winkle engine. No, because you have to replace the apex seals a lot 
less frequently on chiplets than you do on wankles. Uh, I'm going to tell you anyway. Guess how many cylinders this has? <laughs> triangle, 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 triangle. And then Novella Hub, $5 donation. Hopefully you can read Goodnight Sh uh, uh, Shakopee uh, every night. I still have to think about Shakopee, and I don't know why that word doesn't blend with my mind. It just doesn't. Shakopee. I'm assuming at this point. And then one more from American Cosworth. Nope. Oh, hey, more? Jeff. Oh, what's your website? Need to forward craft commuting.com to your website. <laughs> you know, I could probably get craft commuting if I wanted to. Um, so I've told this story before that I uh, actually were coming up on the four year anniversary of craft computing. I registered the domain on March 27th of 2017. Uh, so March 26th, I was fairly well decided on what I wanted to go with for a brand name. Uh, I, I went, it's catchy. Alliteration always works. Uh, it it defines what the channel is going to be about. That is, I'm going to open a craft beer and I'm going to review tech. Uh, it reflects my personality. Like I put a lot of thought into the name of the channel because I didn't want to go like awesome sauce, bitwit, etc. Sorry, Kyle. Uh, I didn't want to have to rebrand on the fly. Uh, and so I looked up the domain and it said craftcomputing.com available for $12. And I went, cool, add to cart. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to sleep on it just to make sure I like it. I went to bed. I woke up in the morning. I went, craft computing. I like it. Went to buy it. Someone had bought it and reposted it for $2,500. Yeah. I went, .net sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So that, I feel like with domains, especially, you have like bots that just like yep. scrub yep. for cart data. Yeah. Like I, I have like a really bad habit of just buying domains all the time yeah because i'm like oh that's a great one like if i don't get it now it's gone and then a year goes by and i'm like i don't need that anymore right but let it, let it lapse and yeah yeah but you know yeah uh interesting i think though what american cosworth is saying i think he bought it because i'm looking at google domains uh, did he buy it well i'm looking at google domains and craftcommuting.com is unavailable oh ah. See, the other, the other reason I don't think I would buy craft commuting is I don't want the the connotation between drinking and automobiles. Um, and so that's something I thought very seriously about as well if I ever wanted to spin off into like a car channel or something like that. Because I'm deeply passionate about cars, not that I work on them myself or not that I could talk at length like I do on on YouTube. Uh, about computers for, but I'm interested. And, and if I ever, if the audience ever generates interest in, you know, my cars or anything else, do I want that to be car part of the craft brand name? And the answer is no, because I don't want to mix that connotation of drinking and driving. It's a, uh, hey, Jeff, I bought craftcommuting.com just to forward it to you. Okay. So Cosworth bought it. 
just to donate. Thank you, Cosworth. All right. Um, I'm going to move on to the next cocktail now. And this one's going to have a little bit of a show. Um, I have not attempted to make this before. Uh, this is the first time I'm using this particular piece of equipment to make a cocktail. Um, I am going to make a smoked Manhattan. So, uh, I have a rocks glass here. And in fact, I'm, uh, do I want to do this neat or do I want to do this? I think I'm going to do this over a rock. So give me, give me five seconds here. I guess I'm giving him some seconds. Sorry, I'm like looking at domains now. He's got me like plugged in. All right. There we go. Oh, that's right. I need ice for my mixing glass too. Sorry. <laughs> Should I make another cocktail? That last one was a double. I'm definitely feeling it. I'm not uh, too keen on overdoing it tonight i gotta wake up super early but uh, i did buy the ingredients for a kentucky mule all right i am back and i think i can reach everything that i need yes i can there's one two there's my bitters perfect all right god john z was i really biting my fingers god i feel like i was but now i don't remember <laughs> Yeah, I, I just say, uh, you know, typ typical generalized anxiety tonight. It's all good. Yeah. But thank you. Which one of us doesn't have that? I know, Especially yeah. after a year in quarantine. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I have to leave the house. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. And I did that a bunch today. I even went to the DMV. Who does that? Right. Ugh. All right. Uh, so... I'm going to start off. I have a second camera angle tonight just for this. Sorry, Rhett, you're not on, on screen right now, but you got I'm actually, I'm going to let you do this while I grab something to drink myself. Perfect. All right. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to be making a classic Manhattan, but I'm going to be smoking it in the process. And the way I'm going to do that is I have this actual smoke machine right off camera right here. We're going to fill this glass and dome with smoke if I can do it properly. Uh, for that, I have a full batch of hickory wood chips that we're going to add to my smoker and then turn on. Don't need a ton here, but there we go. I'm going to turn on this little pump right here. Light a match, and hopefully, start drawing smoke into this uh, little enclosure. There we go. Yes. <laughs> there we go. All right, so we're gonna let the glass just kind of chill right there for a minute. I'm gonna grab my mixing glass here. We're gonna do a classic Manhattan, which is 
two ounces of a rye whiskey. This is a minor case straight whiskey that was actually finished in sherry casks. So it should be a pretty good one. So we're gonna do two ounces of that. There we go. We are going to do one ounce of a vermouth. I'm using a Martini and Rossi vermouth, which is a pretty good middle ground between a sweet and a dry. There we go. And then the exact recipe for a Manhattan is two whiskey, one rye, and then two dashes of bitters. I usually like to add three to four dashes of bitters. I like uh, just a little bit more in my Manhattan. So there we go. We're going to mix that up. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to go back to the other camera. I'm going to lift the lid and drop the ice real quick. Oh, I love that. Isn't that sweet? Uh, wow, what I'm drinking is going to be underwhelming. Yeah, and actually, I think I'm going to re-smoke real quick again. And I got to say, this is a pretty cool little contraption. And you should see the smoke pouring out of the bottom side. You can actually see it down here on the camera. Uh, right there. <laughs> it's just pouring that. out of there. There we go. All right. Lift that lid. And by the way, I'm using hickory wood chips for this. And then we're just gonna pour right over the top. Wow. So how is that for a cool visual? You know, I'm a little jealous because ah. I wanted to make my uh, cocktail on camera. Not that I'm, uh, I'm not the same mixologist as Jeff is, but I thought it'd be more fun than making it in my kitchen five minutes before the show started. <laughs> what, what's fun? Um, you all saw how long the liquid was in contact with the, the smoke. It wasn't that long. Um, there is totally hickory in this drink. <laughs> like, like it's scary. Ah. Ah. Looks delicious. That's my review. Ah. 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 That's good. Uh, <laughs> what, what are you bringing to the party, Rhett? Uh, well, look. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, nothing really. Um, I, I was mentioning when you went to go grab ice, uh, I think I said I, I wanted a second cocktail, but uh, you know, that last one I made was a double and I'm feeling it and I got to wake up early in the morning. So I don't know if I want to overdo it. And uh, let's see, who was it in chat? Emma Shepard said, maybe not if you don't want to overdo it. So I went to the fridge and I grabbed an ice cold Soleil, baby, Safeway signature brand sparkling water, lime flavored. Let's go ahead and listen to this crack open. Oh, beautiful. Oh, God. And it's going to taste like water that 
got farted on by a lemon, but... Oh, no, this one tastes like water that dreamed of lemon once. <laughs> Passed by a, a, a lime truck or lemon truck on I-5. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I was, uh, I think I mentioned when you were off camera that I did buy all the ingredients to make a, a, a Kentucky mule. Uh-huh. Uh, more, more ginger, but yeah, just, uh, you know, we're getting pretty late in the night. Figured I'll, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it clean. So many of our our viewers tonight are drinking water themselves. So yes, I'll, I'll join you all. Check. Okay, there we go. Sorry, uh, my second camera was feeding audio in, and I didn't catch that when I set up that input. So everybody else did. Everyone else did. Yeah. <laughs> double your pleasure. Double your Jeff. <laughs> Uh, stop, Jeff. You're drunk. Go home. No. We uh, do got some more super chats. American Cosworth paid another five dollars to say, Jeff, I bought Craft Commuting just to forward it to you. Yes. No, I uh, I did read that oh, one. Fine. Uh, we've got actually three more in here. Uh, so we've got uh, Tiger. Tiger. Uh, $5 donation. Thank you, Tiger. Uh, have you looked into if they're... Is any issue in Intel Xeon Phi as they are pretty cheap on eBay these days? Uh, don't. That's what I'll tell you. Don't. The Xeon Phi is a coprocessor chip uh, that can... It doesn't have uh, VTX support. It doesn't have VTD support. So you can't break up the coprocessing among different virtual machines. It doesn't have SRIOV. So you run those basically bare metal and you run them for dedicated x86 multi-threaded tasks. They are like 1.1 gigahertz, essentially Atom chips, but that's really not the right. They're, they're completely different than Atom, but think of them as super low power x86 chips. Um, they are for dedicated workloads only, specific workloads, workloads that they are specifically designed to work on. Um, for general compute, that is virtual machines, rendering, they don't work. There's a reason they're cheap. It's because you have to program for the Xeon Phi to get benefit out of the Xeon Phi. Uh, they are not brute force machines. They are purpose-built, just dumb. Um, I've looked into them. I've thought about doing something with Xeon Phi because you can get like 58 cores on a PCI card for like 60 bucks, like a dollar a core. I thought about it. I thought about it. I still decided against it. Uh, Abdul, $5. Echo, 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 echo. Not anymore. I fixed it. Uh, Andrew, $5 donation. Uh, friend just refurbished my roommate's 290X and I'm going to have my roommate bench it again against the 1650 I lent him. I might get my 1650 back. Um, trying to think. Hmm. I think it's going to be relatively even against the 1650. Like if I'm doing the proper translations in my head, uh, the 290X has four gigs of RAM. The 1650 has four gigs of RAM. Um, I think the 290X might be one of the most comparable cards 
to the 1650 that's out there. Uh, the 290X later became the 390 and the 390X, uh, which were Fiji-based cores, if I remember correctly. Uh, then Polaris came out with the RX 580, and the RX 580 was almost punch for punch equal to the to the 390X. Uh, however, it was much more power efficient, and that's saying something because the 580 wasn't all that power efficient. So the 290X was the brute force equivalent of <laughs> of, of the probably the 570X or the the uh, the RX 570. Um, which, as we know, the 1650 competed kind of blow for blow with the RX 570. So, spitballing, I think you're going to be on just about equal footing there. Uh, yeah, so hopefully you'll get your, your 1650 back. If not, just say, you know, it's close enough. Just take the 290X. Uh, American Cosworth, $2. Video requests. How to forward from GoDaddy. Uh, that's just DNS. It's easy. So can't believe you bought with GoDaddy. I, I use Google domains. Well, sometimes I use Google as well, but I've been finding that sometimes Google actually lists domains that are available mm -hmm. as unavailable. Mm -hmm. So I just bought some domains from GoDaddy as well, uh, specialty domains. So for example, um, my podcast is Game Devs Quest, and we have GameDevsQuest.com. I think we have GDQ.com, maybe not. Um, that'd be crazy. Well, that, we? that, that'd be games done quick. And I, I, I doubt you have a GDQ or GDQ. Maybe we do. Or there, don't. There's two, know, there's but... two people I know with that, with that, uh, that acronym. And I'm sorry, you're the smaller. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but it also just depends on what's available. Let me yeah. tell you what I have. Okay. 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 I don't have that. Okay. Um, you're hundred percent correct. Yes. But, um, uh, the acronym when I bought it was for a game jam, which is OMG Jam. Ooh, you need but... to sue because GDQ.com is Good Deal Quest. Ooh, uh, there's other people like I've seen that been kind of like capitalizing on our quest theme. Yeah. Like I saw, I, I think I saw some other games thing called like Game Quest or something. I was like, well, that's close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I just bought uh, Game Dev Quest. Hmm or gamedevs.quest, rather, um, which wasn't available on Google Domains. I had to buy it from um, GoDaddy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I also bought uh, retisaso.me. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> and I also bought, for the day that you're going to cave and never buy craftcomputing.com, I bought craft.computer. I thought about doing that one. <laughs> that's funny well i got it baby yeah nice it's all yours whenever you want <laughs> excellent yeah I, 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 i'm I, holding I, this hostage for the domain name so. <laughs> you, you, you just have the domain name i bought it for you like two years ago <laughs> i've been paying for it ever since <laughs> that's funny that's not a cheap one either that's got to be like 20 bucks a year probably um so so by the way funny story for $30 everyone dollars a year yeah, f funny story about this computer for everyone that recognizes this one. Um, so Rhett, for those who don't know, I, I recently brought on part-time on a contract basis to do a lot of my video editing, or at least the rough cuts and save me some time. Um, and he's been doing a great job. He's, uh, what have you done, five now? Five, six videos, something like that? Um, been doing a pretty good job with him. 
Uh, but I built him a video editing rig because we are working on launching a second channel, which will be like 50% me and 50% Rhett doing more gaming focused content. Uh, and so less on hardware, more on gaming specifically. Uh, so we will do like keyboard and mouse reviews over there. We'll do game reviews themselves. We'll do game optimization guides, things like that. So uh, be on the lookout for that announcement here shortly. Uh, but anyway, I figured Rhett needs a computer at home to be able to edit his end of the videos for that channel. Uh, so I built that 16 core, four gigahertz, uh, 2687 WV2 system for him. And I was going to give him my 5700, my RX 5700 eight gig card. Um, and, uh, had the system booted. I was benchmarking it and everything during that video and it all worked great. But then I went, you know, one terabyte probably isn't quite enough storage for him. Let me go ahead and give him some extra storage. So I pulled out a couple one terabyte SSDs that I had on hand uh, and 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 added a SATA cable to it and, and plugged him in. Plugged the card back in and tried to fire it up this afternoon and it wouldn't post. Uh, or rather it would post, but then when it tried to boot into Windows, it would hard lock, shut the computer down entirely and then reboot. It's like, well, there's an activity I've never seen before. Um, interesting. Like it would go to BIOS and you could surf around the BIOS and, and whatnot. And like, well, maybe the SATA controller is, is in a weird setting. Let me make sure it's an AHCI. Yeah, it's an AHCI. Cool. Let me switch it over to RAID. Let me see if I can RAID the, the cards together. Nope. As soon as it fired up into Windows and got like past the second circle in Windows, it would just click and, and shunt off. And then it would boot back up. And that was it. Uh, so I'm like, well, this is weird. Could it possibly be like one of my SSDs is dead and it's on like a 10 second delay boot or something like that? No, it would stay in the BIOS for 10 minutes at a time. And then as soon as Windows tried to load, it would die again. Uh, so I unplugged the SSDs. Same behavior. Um, well, that's weird. And so finally, I... I just reinstalled Windows. I went, I'm done fighting it. Maybe it's just a corrupt Windows install. We'll do that. I reinstalled Windows, got into the Windows desktop. I went, sweet. Installed the AMD drivers. And as soon as the AMD drivers installed, the computer crashed. So it completely shut down, rebooted, booted back up into Windows. But this time it came up with like just a bunch of yellow pixels on my screen. Well, that's new. Uh, and I went, did I kill this graphics card somehow? <laughs> did did I do something wrong? Um, well, yes, I did something wrong. What I did was plug in two SATA cables that happened to be in the path of the graphics card and the graphics card didn't fully seat into the slot. It was really flipping close, but probably not enough where it was recognizing as an X16 card. And so when the driver wasn't installed, I could get video out on the card. As soon as I installed the driver and I needed all 16 lanes, there she goes. <laughs> so needless to say, that card with SATA drives installed is not compatible with that board. So Rhett got a bit of an upgrade and he instead got my Titan XP. Yeah. Because it was the only other card that I had on hand that I went, I don't need to benchmark this in the future. Like no one cares what the Titan XP did against the next Titan if I ever get my hands on it. <laughs> what I do need to keep is my GTX 1080, my 1070, my 1060, my 5600 XT, my 5700 XT, my, you know, 
RX 580, my like every single other card that I have, I need to keep for benchmarking purposes because I only have one. The only duplicate that I had was the 5700, and that one won't work in this computer. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's nice. I mean, I, I miss all of the beer and cocktails that mm -hmm. I get doing the show in person, but all of the money you've saved uh quenching my thirst is now going into pc hardware you didn't drink in. that much <laughs> i don't know i don't know do you know what i could sell that card for right now <laughs> let's just say yeah <laughs> fair enough right. i was gonna say let's just say though you know the amount i was i was drinking before isn't necessarily representative of the amount i would drink during a pandemic so it's kind of it's like a wash in a way it know? is it is yeah <laughs> uh yeah so enjoy the 12 gigs of vram with your 16 cores 32 threads of four gigahertz ivy bridge 64 gigs of quad channel memory i am yeah People have been talking about this Crisis game for a while. I'm thinking about seeing what that's about. What's funny is I installed that for you. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Ritz probably never played Crisis properly. <laughs> Just the demo over and over and over. Yeah. So, no, I have Crisis proper, so you can actually go through it and experience what everyone else got in, but sometime between 2008 and 2013. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Uh Rhett is the the embodiment of the XKCD comic living in the past where he buys <laughs> games five years after they've been released. And so like 2012, he's coming around going, guys, the cake is a lie. It's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> actually, that was a hard one. Um, I never actually for myself found out the cake is a lie because I actually kind of get um, motion sick. Uh, with some games and yeah. like I could probably go through like the first half of portal mm -hmm. um, but then the puzzles start moving so quickly and you've got to become so much more dexterous and actually yeah. like I could probably dial in the field of view and get that to work yeah. but it actually makes me pretty motion sick, a, a wider kind of field of view would actually help you because uh, the things in perspective to the camera are further away and so they're yeah. moving slower um, yeah. I, I found that in some VR games, increasing your field of view ever so slightly will kill any motion sickness that is inherent with that particular yeah. game. I typically have to set it to like at least 120. Mm -hmm. And so I, I never tried that with Portal because I didn't know that that would fix it back then. Yeah. And then I just haven't played it. <laughs> I will say I also installed my good old games copies of Cyberpunk 2077 and Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm looking forward to both. Those. So, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we got two more really quick items to hit, and then we're going to call it a night here. So first off, NVIDIA is looking at introducing or rumored to be introducing an Ampere A100 GPU, uh, built specifically for cryptocurrency mining and will cost $3,000 retail. I'm pissed off about this for two reasons. Number one, that's fabs that should be going to graphics cards that are now going to purpose-built, not even ASIC miners, but purpose-built miners using NVIDIA Silicon that I would much rather land in a card that I could use after the crypto boom is over. Because once the crypto boom is over, I can't use this card for NVENC encoding. I can't use it for... SRIOV, I can't use it for MXGPU, I can't use it for 
any other technology that really excites me. It's literally just sand. And that pisses me off. That and it's $3,000. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I thought I had a line on a Titan V and I was so ready to pull the trigger on a Titan V. And then that deal fell through and I still kind of want a Titan V, but I already spent $1,400 today and adding another 2,200, I think would, would go beyond like paying all your expenses for the, the quarter and into the realm of pissing my wife off. <laughs> um, so I bought the 5950X and an additional 64 gig kit of memory to the so I, I have a set of Viper, uh, uh, Patriot Viper Blackout Edition memory that is two 32 gig sticks at 3,600 megahertz CAS 18. I bought another two gig, two 32 gig sticks today. Uh, so I can put 128 gigs on my 5950X. And I'm going to see how it holds up against Threadripper because I think it's going to kick its ass. <laughs> um, I also have a two terabyte Gen 3 NVMe drive that's going to go into that system and possibly some other storage and possibly... I was looking for like, what graphics card do I need to put that over the top? Because right now I have a Titan XP. Oh crap, I need to give that to Rhett. I guess I'll throw my 2080 back into it. <laughs> I know, that's a terrible problem to have. Um, <laughs> but I went, I need a 3090 or I need like a Titan V or a Titan RTX or something to put this rig over the top. Like it has to have something. I can't have the top of like three different variants of of parts and then drop a 2060 into it. Like that's not cool. That's not, that's not who I am. F80 as the editing scratch disc. Actually, I thought about buying an additional F80 to go into the rig just as a scratch disc, but I'm gonna have plenty of storage anyway that's already NVMe capable, so. Trust me, good things are coming as far as storage with this, this system goes. How many Chrome tabs can you have open? Uh, 20 on top of Premiere editing my 4K RAW video. So, <laughs> Sorry, it's disingenuous. It's, it's 4K ProRes, but still. <laughs> uh, which as we found out, 4K ProRes edits pretty darn well on a on a on a quadro p620 which is what rhett's been editing on lately <laughs> remotely i might add yeah which that will be a, a video here very soon on on how the performance is on that so stay tuned uh and then one last thing to get to uh valves robinson or robinson robin walker uh says fans should be excited about the possibility again of valve first party games uh and I, for one, am thrilled with how Half-Life Alex turned out. I missed that level of polish in games. Like, Half-Life Alex released, and it, by itself, immediately set the bar for VR games at least a rung and a half higher. Like, there's been some really good experiences in VR, but there has not been a AAA beginning-to-end made-for-VR game until Half-Life Alex. That should be the bar every single VR game is pushing for now. Instead, we're still getting crappy mechanics in a dumped down game of what we're normally used to. There's no Red Dead Redemption 2 for VR yet. There's no Apex Legends for VR yet. There's not even a Fortnite for VR yet. We have kind of these mild implementations of games, 
we have Pavlov, we have Onward, we have Gorn, we have... You can argue Fallout 4, but Fallout 4 wasn't meant for VR and still has a lot of really jarring experiences in it. There's Skyrim for VR, and let me just tell you, that was $60 I want back. Because what a bloody nightmare of an experience that thing is. Um, the combat doesn't work. The holding of items doesn't work. The locomotion works pretty well. If you just want to walk through Skyrim, it's fine. But everything else sucks because it wasn't meant for VR and they didn't put enough time and effort and energy and resources into making it for VR or rewriting it for VR, which is what it really needed, for it to be worth a $60 price point. Fallout 4 was way better. Still broken, but better. Uh, but Half-Life Alex had the polish of a AAA game that happened to be in VR. You know, that's one of the kind of interesting things about Valve, and, and I know that everybody is constantly, at this point, jokingly harping about Half-Life 3 mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I, I think people need to brace themselves for the very real possibility that it may never happen because the people that made Half-Life great... I said it's not. Right. The people that have made Half-Life great, especially Half-Life 1 and 2, they're just not with the company anymore. And um, right. that doesn't mean that it's not a possibility, but it's interesting because I've been just doing a lot of like games history research. And like one of the things that really made Valve stand out is um, the way that they developed games was by essentially they'd iterate different games, different modes, different things like that by modding their own game as developers. And then they would play them. They'd have like studio wide, like lands, where they'd screw around. And that's how you got something like Counter-Strike. That's how you got all of these different modes in Half-Life that are really popular. But I think what's most interesting is that's how the, the gravity gun came to be implemented in right. Half-Life, which became one of the most interesting- And iconic. And iconic weapons in any game. Right. And what sets Valve apart is they're screwing around in their dev tools, fighting each other in some arena or whatever. And they're like, man, wouldn't this like the, the gravity gun was just a dev tool for them to manipulate the game inside, you know, right uh, behind the scene and, and get the game to work the way that they wanted. Instead, they gave it actual <laughs> mechanics and, yeah. and integrated into the game and people went, now that's freaking awesome. Right. And, uh, and it became something so fun. They said, man, this is so fun. Like we can't keep this from the player. We should right. figure out how to include this in the game. And they did. And right. it was like genre defining. Yeah. And other studios at the same time had similar tools in their game, but they were like, well, we can't give the player that much power. It would break the game. Right. Well, <laughs> just figure out you know how what? to make your game different. It broke Half-Life 2 also, <laughs> but we loved it for it. Right. Exactly. It. You're playing a game. Once, it's not a simulation. Once I, right. Once I've beaten the game, I love going back through and modding to my heart's content. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I, I played through the entire campaign of Red Dead Redemption 2 twice. Once on the Xbox uh, One, uh, original Xbox One, which, by the way, I played at, like, 584p at 20 FPS. Like, it's that good of a game that I suffered through that <laughs> because it was that good of a game. Um, and then again, when it came out on the PC... And I played through the same way both times. I'm evil Arthur all the way. Like, I am, like, shoot you in the face for looking at me funny or saying, like, what's Arthur. your problem? Good Arthur. No, I need I, those flowers on my grave. No, I, I'm evil Arthur the full full bore. 
I, I am get shot in the face by Micah at the end, Arthur, <laughs> because I made all the wrong decisions. Um, like, I, I have the achievement for uh, make your honor gauge go one way or the other, and it's all the way to the left. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Um, but <laughs> it was that good of a game. I played through it twice completely through. But now that I'm twice completely through it, I love getting all the guns early on and just blasting yeah. my way through it and just having a ball with it. Yeah. I I love playing through Half-Life and then giving myself infinite ammo and, 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 and all the guns from the beginning and the gravity gun and just like throwing people to the side or, you know, launching barrels into people. And it's great fun. I love yeah. cheating. I well, love that's, cheating. That's the secret behind a lot of cheat codes anyways, is that they were tools that devs used and QA testers used mm -hmm. to polish their products. Right. Um, but the point of that being is that like, while valve was sort of, I think defining uh, a genre in a way and features in a way and really setting the standard and the bar for what it was. I think like that's part of what kind of forced them to hold back on Half-Life 3. But what's it like Half-Life Alex? like it's funny in retrospect, thinking about the gravity gun in that way and thinking about gaming in that way, is that like, of course they would have kind of developed the epitome VR game experience. I mean, that is what Valve does. They find these new tools and these new gimmicks in a way. I mean, VR, you know, I'll say it, it's it's really just a toy for the most part. Right. But you get something like Half-Life Alex, which makes the most which of it. Which takes advantage of all of its advantages right. and does away with traditional gameplay mechanics, which don't translate into VR. Yeah. Um, exactly. some, some, someone said super hot is a great game. Super hot is a great game, but it's also a one trick pony. It does yeah. one thing and it does it very, very well. Yeah. Gorn, Gorn does one thing and it does it very, very well. Beat Saber does only one thing and does it better than anyone else has ever done it. Uh, you know, uh, space pirate trainer is one game. That's very good. Half-Life Alex blends three or four or five different types of game mechanics. It's a puzzle-solving game. It's a first-person shooter. It's a horror. It's an adventure. It's an exploration. All at the same time, blending seamlessly between those gameplay modes. And, yeah. and it tells a compelling story. And it has amazing visuals. And it has some of the most dynamic game mechanics you've ever seen for the platform. That's what makes a triple A game. Yeah. And and while Fallout tell Fallout 4 tells a decent story, it does the exploration right. It does most of the mechanics right as far as VR. Uh there's a couple of things it could have done better. Uh but at least it did melee combat right, which Skyrim didn't. Like a game that's dependent on swords and spears and maces failed in the melee combat mechanics. Like, think about that. Yeah. The main mechanic in Skyrim failed at being the main mechanic in Skyrim. Well, the hard thing is that in Skyrim, there are no spears. And they right. try to explain it canonically, but it's a stupid explanation. And the game suffers because of it, because Skyrim is a step down from the Superior game, Morrowind. 
Um, I think there's a good uh, Chris McComb here uh, had a, a good little snip saying that uh, VR is evolutionary, not revolutionary. And uh, I think that's a really good description of what VR is going to be. And I don't think that it means that people can't revolutionize what it is or whatever, but I think that VR is kind of just going to be the step towards... Um, I think there are so many game publishers and developers who are trying to take the safe route with VR rather than taking yeah. chances with VR. Yeah. They are still trying to treat it as a mainstream, everyone has to be on board type of medium. Um, when you get... The people who have bought into VR to this point, and I'm, I'm kind of excluding the Oculus Quest users from this because... The Oculus Quest yeah. is now a consumer, almost almost an is... impulse buyer territory. Yeah. Um, but the people who have bought into VR previously are Oculus Rift, HTC, and Valve Index people who have invested $700 to $1,000 in their experience. Um, and, for, and, and they're taking risks with their money. They're going... I think I'm going to play this enough where my investment in the product makes sense. However, VR devs aren't doing them the same justice by playing it safe and saying, we're going to do Hitman VR, but we're going to shoehorn it into Hitman 3, which is also an Epic Games exclusive. And we're not going to divvy we're not going to devote too much dev time to the VR side because we know 80% of our player base is going to be on yeah. 2D. Well, it's kind of like how most studios right now, not most, but a lot of studios too, they're making mostly like multiplayer games because mm -hmm. they're cheaper, easier, and faster to implement mm -hmm. and maintain. I don't have to um, tell a story. I just have to have players shoot at yeah. each other and give colorful environments. Hell yeah, right. I can get a 10-year-old to play this. Right. Like, look at, like, Fortnite. Like, they were trying to create one experience, and then they found out that the Battle Royale, like, got people right. interested in playing. Did you know Fortnite has a single player and, and like, ten other different modes for multiplayer? But no, yeah. Battle Royale is what makes Fortnite. Right. And it's just easy. Like, you don't really have to implement, like, a new map every time. You're not, like, procedurally generated. Like, it's kind of the same. You change drops, and the only thing that really changes it is player strategy. Right. Um, yeah. But um, we got a couple super chats, and then I think we're kind of wrapping this thing up. Yes, we are. Uh, so we got we actually got quite a few. Uh, starting with Alice, who wants to know five dollars. Do you have any interest in retro computing projects such as Commander X eighteen, Mega sixty five, or Color Maximite? Not quite that old. Um, although I do have a project I've been sitting on for about six months, in which I'm going to rebuild a Pentium one, uh, and that will definitely be a build coming up. I'm just trying to set aside the appropriate amount of time to put to that build to give it justice. Um, and it is a quite compact Pentium 1 system. Uh, but I have a video card. I have a, a an audio card. I have a Pentium 1 system that will take everything from a Pentium 90 to the 233 MMX that I have on hand. It's going to be a good build, which by the way, Pentium 1 233 MMX should send shivers up just about everyone's spine because that was the fastest Pentium 1 MMX ever made. Um, Rhett wouldn't know because he was born after that. Ah, uh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, I, I have a lot of interest in retro computing. Uh, the problem is I don't know how they would integrate into craft computing in general. And so they might they might be seen on craft gaming. I don't know. Uh, but Rhett and I are, are both 
feverishly working at that. By the way, I'm going to ask you this in the air. How's your first uh, review coming? <laughs> Things are slow. And actually, it's funny because like talking about all this. We don't even have to say so. the game because everyone knows the game already. But how's yeah. your first review coming, right? It's coming. It's coming along really well. I've been. Um, what's really sad is that I really hit the the niche like early on before it was popular with a podcast like several years ago. And now I'm looking mm -hmm. online and it's like oh like this specific topic is like there's already for like the specific title of the video that we put in our brainstorm sheet yeah there's like a hundred videos with that title already i'm like son of a gun <laughs> yep that's the problem with bethesda titles is there are people like you who have already written it to extinction <laughs> and what do you do that's new right, and yeah. but what i would say to that and and we're live brainstorming on the air here what i would say to that is treat this more as an introduction to Rhett as yeah. a as a personality, less of an introduction to what Morrowind is. People know Elder Scrolls Three Morrowind for what it is, and oh, yeah. it is a a diehard community of fans and modders and and people who think like, oh, this is where RPGs for PC peaked. <laughs> I know, I know. Wow, but that's so weird. Did but you have like something tapped into my brain there? Yes. <laughs> uh, but treat this more as an introduction to who is Rhett as a reviewer and what can we expect of you for other game reviews. Let your personality shine more than the game. That's what I want to say. So, that's a good suggestion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... So uh, Rhett and I came to a brainstorm table and we had like an hour of brainstorming where we said, okay, what is craft gaming going to form into? What's its voice? What's its genre? What's its niche? What's its message? Um, and uh, and Rhett says, you know, I've been thinking of like, like what's an easy topic that I can tackle? And I was thinking Morrowind. And I said, actually, that was my exact <laughs> suggestion to you is I want you to tackle Morrowind from a retrospective. I want you to go, why was it popular then? How did it change gaming? How is the community now? And why did it evolve the way it did? And I want you to tackle it on a pretty hearty basis. Like, like get deep <laughs> into it. And uh, oh, I am. Right. I just watched an eight-hour video <laughs> essay on Morrowind. I'm not even kidding. Eight hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right oh and by the way Rhett's going to be on camera for this so it'll also be one of his first like monologues that he has to slog through so I bought him a teleprompter <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to that so am I actually I think that's really cool I think it's going to be fun but that'll be the first video on craft on craft gaming so stay tuned or, yeah. or as Rhett would say buckle up um, damn now I have to say it all the time right uh, Andrew, $5 donation. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible. And I'm also going to give them the time that they actually deserve. So we'll be on for a couple more minutes here. Andrew wants to know, uh, by the way, we just got one more super chat too. So <laughs> buckle up, uh, any interest in coral AI, uh, would love to see if there's any reasonable hobbyist used for it. I'm actually not all that familiar with coral AI. Uh, so AI in general does does intrigue me uh, from a machine learning kind of standpoint. Um, in fact, my brother-in-law has a master's degree in machine learning and uh, he's been doing some really cool things with it. Um, but I myself don't understand the implications fully, nor do I understand the use case for it in every regard. Um, but AI in general does 
does interest me from a fringe standpoint. I will say that at the very least. Um, I and and as much as I would like to go on on that, I can't because most of my knowledge is tangential. It's it's on the fringes of like, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I know some of these words. Like that's my knowledge of AI. So I'm not going to. Uh, American Cosworth, two dollars. I stand with Rhett. About was... motion sickness, I think. Okay. Okay. That makes That's sense. What people are talking about. Then, and then Steve says, "I'm just a patient gamer <laughs> playing old games." <laughs> uh, Doctor Watson, thirty-two, ten-dollar donation. Thank you. Uh, says, "I'm with Rhett. Four terabytes of games, and once in a blue moon, I, uh, uh, I play, I play once in a blue moon, and mostly older stuff." Um, I'm finding more and more of myself doing that and being like years behind the trend. Like I'm still trying to play through Hitman 2, not <laughs> not the not the 2005 release, but the 2017 release of Hitman 2. And it's like, oh, Hitman 3 is already a thing, and it has yeah. VR support. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> So yeah, I've found the best thing for me to do is to just keep like three to five games installed and that's it. Yeah. And I actually find that I, when I do play, it feels much more like deep and engaging. I'm not like yeah. worried about, oh, I could be playing something else. Well, I can't because I don't have anything installed. It's kind of the the mentality I've been trying to take lately where where it used to be I had the same 20 games installed and it's like, well, what do I want to play? Uh, I guess I'll play through yeah. Mass Effect 2 again. Uh, but now right. Mass Effect has the HD release coming in a couple months, so I don't want to play it right now. So it's like, okay, well, what do I play? You know what? Horizon Zero Dawn, Sony made the investment in porting it to the PC, and from all I've heard, it's a pretty damn good port. I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to play it. Because I think it deserves that. And yeah. so far, I've been really impressed with it. Um, yeah. And so I'm trying to put the time into Horizon Zero Dawn lately to, to play through it. But I've also got the Oculus Quest that I bought recently. And so I've been replaying through a lot of the VR games that I played like three years ago when I had the VR arcade. So I'm going back through uh, uh, Super Hot. I'm going back through Gorn now that it's fully evolved into a fully fleshed out, not early release title. Uh, I'm going to play back through Arizona Sunshine, but with all of the DLC enabled. Um, I want to play through Half-Life Alex fully wireless. Yeah. Like there, there are so many games that I'm trying to go through right now. And, and I'm to that point where it's like, I've got like four or five VR games alone that I want to re-explore, let alone the new VR games that I haven't played yet. Plus yeah. I've got to give my daughter VR time in Vacation Simulator, um, which she has been rocking the crap out of lately. And it's like, I still don't have time to play through other games that i really yeah, want to get to but but i i am taking that advice and i have installed only like four games on my current gaming pc and those are my choices and so those are what i'm trying to go through right now uh american cosworth two dollars my wife says welcome to the 128 gig club e5 2696 v2 uh well, I've been on the 128 gig club for a while. In fact, my Epic server is a 256, although I don't use it for daily compute. I've used it for some VR stuff, and I also used it for the last cloud gaming uh, server. Although I'm not going to use the Epic for the next iteration of the cloud gaming server, so stay tuned. This project has cost me way too much. Um, <laughs> stay tuned, please. Please keep watching. I need you to watch 
because it's cost me way too much. Um, <laughs> you need the ad revenue. <laughs> I need the ad revenue. Um, but yeah, no, I've also got the 5950X that's going to 128 gigs. I've also got my my Epic, which is technically currently, or not my Epic, but my Threadripper 2 or Zen Plus 2950X, which is currently a 64 gigs, but I did specifically buy the 128 gig kit for it. I just haven't installed it because the cooler is too short to clear the memory. So I hit, yeah. Right. Yeah. But no, I've had I've had many, many machines with 128 gigs before. Andrew, $5 donation. Uh the 290X blower style. Uh sounds like a hairdryer. Yes, it does. Uh apparently you've never ran a uh, a nano. Uh in the in a 10 foot by 16 foot room from an IT standpoint. I don't know if I can knowingly subject him to that. Um All's fair amongst friends is what I would say. And I would say as a loner card, you're giving him the the benefit of gaming on the peak of 2016 technology. And he should be damn grateful for the opportunity to game on a 290X, which by the way, was the flagship card for AMD for quite a while outside of the 295X2. Um, so you can say this was a $550 graphics card when it was new, you should be appreciative of the opportunity to have such a glorious beast in your in the same room as you, let alone be able to touch it. Uh, and then take your 1650X, or take your 1650 back and laugh all the way to Newegg. Uh, and then finally, we have PC Tech Hustle, $10 donation. Just saying, hi, Jeff. Love the stream. Keep crushing it. Thank you so much i i sincerely appreciate that uh like there are some who say they appreciate that i really mean it like that ten dollars that's gonna go right back into the show it's gonna go into liquor it's gonna go into equipment it's gonna go into camera gear it's going to go into something yeah it's gonna yeah it's probably gonna pay my editor which (laughs) is gonna speed me up which which is going to bring you more content so Yes, I I sincerely appreciate the donation. Uh, Novella Hub says, glory to you and your house. And then Big Big Spoon, $2 donation. I stepped away. Did we talk Discord and Microsoft? We didn't talk Discord and Microsoft. Um, I think I want to wait and see what that materializes into this next week. Um, it was on my notes. It didn't make it to the final notes because Microsoft has been rumored to be talking to Discord to acquire them for $10 billion. That's billion with a B. Uh, And this is all materialized within the last 48 hours. And there's a lot of, he said, they said, he said, she said, um, that I don't know that I can dissect. Um, A lot of people are going, oh, F Microsoft. They're just buying up another thing to dissolve them because they want everyone to go to Teams. At the same time, in the gaming realm, Microsoft can really do no wrong over the last four years. Like they have been doing all the right things by gamers for gamers to make it a more open ecosystem rather than trying to exclude things. Like they were the one who extended the olive branch to PlayStation and said, hey, you know what? Why don't we all play in the same Rocket League bin? And PlayStation went, screw you. I want my own sandbox. So wait, people are leaving? Yeah, we should do that. Uh, And 
Is not Game Pass one of the best deals in gaming that you have ever seen? Oh, yeah. Like, just flat out. Not speaking of the game, just speaking flat out. Um, <laughs> Microsoft Game Pass is a freaking breath of fresh air into an ecosystem that has historically been exclusionary. Yep. Um, so for all the, for all of the, the sky is falling for all of the, gosh, who was that? Chicken little for all the chicken littles out there. I say, let's just wait and see where the cards land because I don't think Microsoft is buying this just to drive a nail in the coffin of it. Right. Just to erase it. I think they are buying this to say, Hey, discord is now integrated into Xbox chat. Yeah, which is now, if you idea. have a Nitro subscription, you also have a Game Pass subscription. Now, which if you have this, idea. you also have that. Hey, do you want to talk on, on, on Microsoft Live? Now you can integrate your same rooms into Discord. I think they're looking at more of an integration and existing community route rather than the, we saw this as a competitor and we want to flush them out route. So that's my two cents. That's where I think they sit. But... This has been episode 176 of Talking Heads. Every Wednesday night on YouTube, Craft Computing. I had I had words and they all kind of they've been like meshing together all night. I've I've managed <laughs> to stay fairly fluid, but I have multiple thoughts in my head at the same time and multiple words I want to land on, and the sentences go, no. Oh yeah. This Plus has been Talking late. Heads here on Craft Computing every Wednesday night, every single I did it again. Rhett, you want to sign us off, please? <laughs> Guys, this has been episode 176 of Talking Heads, live from Craft Computing, every Wednesday night, right here. That's been Jeff. You can right find him. Right here on YouTube at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Well, you know. They yeah, know. That's a given. Y'all found it. But you know what this is. In case you didn't know, 8 p.m. Pacific time. You can find Jeff over at Twitter at Craft Computing. Follow all of his shenanigans there. You can find me on Twitter at RhettIsAwesome. And if you haven't done so already, go down, subscribe to the channel. And if you want to join the Discord where we have the super secret awesome after party, you can do so for a dollar a month or float plane if you'd like. That gets you into our Discord server. Uh, Patreon or float plane subscription gets you in there. Um, and uh, yeah. Give this, give this bad boy a like. Come back next Wednesday. One of the other Talking Heads hosts, y'all. We'll catch you ne next time. It's going to be John on a final sign out for Mixology March because it will be a stream on March 31st, the fifth Wednesday in March. It should be a great time. And I think John and I are both going to kind of drive this thing out with a bang. Um, I tried the smoked cocktail this week. Who knows? Maybe we'll be doing like absinthe next week. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect. Thank right, you, Rhett. Guys. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you all so much for watching. And as always, we will see you next